Bring it in, read option, pod, back after what might be the best NFL weekend I can ever remember. Um, and that might sound like hyperbole to many people, and uh, I, but I can honestly say that with a straight face and mean it wholeheartedly. An absolutely absurd weekend, crazy games, close games, even Sunday night, which was not the most entertaining game, was still really close, right, and kind of felt like Washington could come down and score at any point. Um, but that's not what's going to be leading the way. We have the whole crew together today, uh, and we're going to get through everything. Um, so first off, boys, how, how are we doing? It's great to see both of you. How's, how is everybody doing? Dude, amazing. Uh, like, yeah. this, is, this is literally one of the best weekends it, of sports ever. Like, so we had the World Cup on top of all this NFL games. Which right? was an incredible game, too, incredible by the way. Incredible game. One of the best sporting events I've ever seen. And in addition to that, no one's going to care, but the Chess World Championships were yesterday. Hikaru Nakamura upset Magnus Carlsen, which was insane. In the, in Nakamura the upset? <laughs> yeah, it was, no, it was wild. It, anyway, it was uh, absolutely electric. Every sporting event you looked at, you said it had everything. We had the biggest comeback of all time. We had incredible finishes. We had overtimes. We had pretty magic for our boy, Scotty. We had all these different things going on. The Broncos won and hit the under. I mean, insane things have happened. So, you know, I, I'm just excited to see what the hell the rest of the league has in for us because this was crazy. And to cap it all off, at the end of the week, it's uh, the host's birthday. Happy birthday, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, I, I do appreciate that. It is uh, my birthday. Uh, 27 years old today, which is kind of an insignificant birthday, but it was a great present, right? It was a great early birthday present uh, to have an unbelievable um just overall weekend right now um and 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 i'll say this too like i'm not a huge soccer guy i love international soccer like i think international soccer is is super interesting it's like the olympics right like you get into it once every four years uh and then i keep my eye on the premier league and other stuff uh as well but not as closely as you two follow them i don't have a premier league that i call home but the final on sunday morning was so ridiculously entertaining and it lived up to the all the hype in the world and and i it was incredible because like i was pulling for messi just because messi's an all like an all-timer like arguably one of the greatest if not the greatest soccer players of all time and this is the only thing missing and then you have this french team who's the reigning world cup champions with this young superstar mbappe who at age 23 could have multiple uh, World Cup championships under his belt, and he had a hat trick in the yeah, game. He's he's sixth in World Cup scoring already at 23 today, which is, all time, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah. the goal he had to tie it a minute after the penalty kick was sick because there'll be people that was like, nasty, oh, well, but like two of his goals were penalty kicks, right? Which, like, all right, fair, but the goal he had to tie the game, and they always say, Disgusting. right, 2 0, 2 0 is the most dangerous lead in soccer. You always hear that. That goal was fucking. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous and then it goes into extra time and Messi scores and then it goes to a penalty kick and Mbappe scores and then we go and the save by the Argentinian goalie like I know we're going to talk about all the crazy football stuff but I do want because the save Dude, at the yeah. end of extra time that was a no doubt goal for France that would have won it with like the added time in extra time 
for the the Argentine uh, Argentina's goalie to make that save was unreal. Uh, and then that just steamrolled into a, a ridiculous day of football in the NFL. Like Sunday was an all time day yeah. to sit on the couch and watch football and drink beer the whole day. And I absolutely loved it. So, um, and, and I love this too. A lot of the soccer people are like, yeah, no, no. If you're new to soccer, this is what it's like all the time. Even yeah. though they know it's not, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not like it. that all <laughs> the time, not quite that high stakes, but you do get awesome drama. And there's a reason why football uh, as the, our friends across the pond call it, uh, is as popular as it is. And, um, it was electric. It was an unreal final. And did you guys see, and there was a great shot that ESPN posted of, uh, someone in Argentina who had a drone and was flying it through the streets of Argentina. And like, uh, and it, I mean, it makes every celebration, every Super Bowl parade, everything else look like small potatoes compared to that. Like that was ridiculous. I will say that is the standard for big tournaments in the World Cup. Whoever wins, it's it's different. Like Buenos Aires was going off when Italy wanted no six everywhere across the country was going off. So, uh, yeah, that is the norm uh, for for big tournaments like that. I will say that the game. I don't know. That was pretty electric. But uh, but yeah, that's definitely a norm around the yep. world the, the game was was all time all time uh and again that was a great table setter because the only thing that could have possibly at least even for me like i was like i don't know if any games today especially on paper we're going to come close to that and that's also following the ridiculous games we had on saturday but the sunday games delivered we had unbelievable finishes a ton of impact on the playoff standings um normally we would say hey let's start with the thursday night game because we don't typically talk about it but look your Niners, they came out. They dominated defensively. Here Gino, come the Niners. Geno Smith had a garbage time touchdown in the fourth quarter that made the score seem closer than it was. The Niners dominated. Christian McCaffrey, I do want to give a shout-out to Christian McCaffrey. Um, he's had a ridiculously good season, um, and no one's talked about it because at this point his reputation is what it is. He gets hurt a lot, but when he's on the field, he's amazing. He's been healthy all season, and he's been electric. And him on this Niners offense, like – if the knock Niners, on wood, Jeff. Knock on wood. Well, I, I don't know if I want. I mean, for his sake, I'll knock on wood. Especially now that my fantasy season's over, uh, I can knock on wood for that. But, uh, but if the Niners make a run, a big part of that's going to be Christian McCaffrey, especially because Debo Samuel is likely not to be seen until the postseason anyway. So Christian McCaffrey is going to be a huge part of that. Uh, Brandon Ayuk as the number one wide receiver not really going to be a whole lot we saw george kittle have a big game two touchdowns for him first kind of big kittle game we've really had all year i think he had one other game with a touchdown you did scotty was all over that one um so the niners win and cover so we love to see that but we have to get into saturday because the set the the one o'clock saturday game kirk cousins going against the indianapolis colts i'm all in in this game picking minnesota to cover right they're minus four and i'm thinking this line is it, it this makes no sense minus four against this Colts team Minnesota should win this game easily right and as part of like celebrating my birthday whatever this weekend my girlfriend and I we were out at the driving range went around did some stuff um and I'm keeping my eye on the score and I'm like holy shit 33 to nothing like did not expect this man like Scott you called it you thought Indy was going to win the game you thought they were going to cover and, and and be competitive uh and you look to be right until the second half kicked around and we saw the biggest comeback in NFL history. So Vito, as our resident NFL history expert, 
Um, you can either set the stage. I just want to hand it off to you and get yeah. your overall thoughts because this is like so up your alley in terms of significance in NFL history, uh, in, in addition to being an exhilarating game. For sure. I mean, the last biggest regular season comeback that's been going around was when Kirk Cousins was on Washington and it was the you like that game, right? And that was 23 the last... points, I think. Yeah. And then before that, the greatest, the greatest comeback ever that this eclipsed was actually Frank Reich starting for the Bills uh, and his famous 31-point comeback, I believe. 32. 32, thank you. And so now this is the biggest comeback of all time. So the Colts only fire Frank Reich. Two weeks later, they erase him from the record books. They also, uh, Jeff Saturday loses on his first Saturday game, which is sad to see, Um, you know, but he got out to that lead. But either way, this is a historic game. The Vikings now, I mean, listen, they had, uh, you know, uh, what did they technically call it? the miracle in the Met- in the um, in Minneapolis, Minneapolis miracle? Minneapolis, yeah. The and, then, Diggs. and then this this deserves a name. I mean, this is an incredible game. The comeback, the fact they were able to complete it in overtime. Um, I can tell you my situation. I woke up Saturday to a text like with some free Browns tickets, which I'm sure we'll breeze over that game. There's no reason to talk about it. But uh, the crazy part was is we were getting ready to leave, and I I, I was just kept watching the Vikings score and then coming back and back. I'm like, I'm not, I don't think I can leave. I don't think I can leave until this game is done. I was late to the Browns game. Cause why not? And I'm glad I did it. Cause this Vikings game was absolutely crazy. I'm so glad for anyone that was there. Who's a fan. And man, this is uh this is an incredible win. Now it's against the Colts. Um, and they did fall apart. You know, the Matt Ryan thing is just going to be out there. The memes are already starting all over. They started yesterday, Saturday and yesterday, but uh, absolutely historic and just incredible. And, and the crazy part too, is, is it was like KJ, like the receiver, it wasn't all Justin Jefferson just going off. I mean, he went off, he got his, but, uh, KJ had a great game. Um, uh, their defense stepped up and only allowed three points in the second half, which are, uh, is pretty incredible. None in the fourth quarter. Um, Jonathan Taylor going down made a huge difference, but still crazy game. Yeah, it was, it was unbe- unbelievable, right? Like, to the extent whenever something happens in the NFL and you use that term, like, Oh, this game was insane. It was unbelievable. Like it's almost always hyperbole, but we're just such big fans that it's easy for us to kind of just sit there and be like, Oh, this was insane. But to us, but like to the casual viewer, it's not that crazy. This was insane to the casual viewer, right? It's a standalone one o'clock game. So do we count this as prime time? Because it was a standalone, any standalone well, game, I tend no, to. Kirk Cousins count. played way too well for this to be prime time. I, I'm That's sorry. That's what's crazy is that it's a one, <laughs> it's one o'clock Kirk Cousins, but also it was a standalone game, which on a Saturday, on a which, but it was a but, Saturday game, so it's like technically I always rule any standalone game is prime okay. time, but it was also one o'clock, so it was both things happening at the same time. It was which, both a standalone primetime game and a one o'clock Kirk Cousins game, which maybe that's why he was able to pull it off. And that makes sense. I mean, maybe what they need to make sure is in the wild card situation on that weekend, they're playing those one o'clock Saturday games, which are a thing. Mm-hmm. Now that we've got six games on wild card. Jeff, I think you might've just unlocked the Vikings quest for the championship. Their actual road just needs to go through 1 PM games. Yeah. And the Super Bowl is at like two 30. They could do this. They <laughs> could do this. This might be the start of their run. It, it might be, it, it, it might be, it, it was just, it, and it's also look like, and I listened to the part of my take guys today and they kind of like many of us have been bashing the, not bashing, but pointing out that the Vikings have had 
uh, a less than convincing road to being 11 and three. And this game only enhances that, right? This game only feeds into that narrative even more. And they were kind of like, yeah, but look, as sports fans, it's about the ride. If you're a Vikings fan, like this is going to be something you talk about for the rest of your life. Like, I'm going to remember, I don't remember what happened the year that the Eagles had the miracle in the Meadowlands and Deshaun Jackson returns it. But I remember it was my 16th birthday, 11 years ago today, as we're recording this. (laughs) And it was me and both sets of my grandparents and my parents in my downstairs family room in Chalfont, Pennsylvania. And I loved every second of it. And it was a memory I'll never forget. And if that's the case for a young, impressionable Vikings fan, then that's awesome. However, bigger picture, and Scotty, I think this is kind of where you're coming from with this game as well, is it does only add to what we already know about the Vikings, which is that this team is not built to make a big time run. Now, it's they're it's going vulnerable. to be, but they're going to be dangerous because this is now the second time there was a stat that like the NFL teams this season are 0 and 99 when down 20 points in the first half, except for the Minnesota Vikings. And they're like two and two who have, who have, won, who have done it twice. Crazy. Who have yeah. done it twice now. Like if they're down 20 at half, they literally have a 50% chance of winning, which is the most ridiculous stat of anything. Like there was that McVay one for a while. We didn't lose if he was up at half for like 34 games in a row. This is equally as crazy that like, the Vikings, it doesn't fucking matter what happens in the first half. It doesn't. That's what that shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the biggest stat, the most impressive stat to me is, so I was up in Philadelphia this weekend. I'm sitting at, at Kavanaugh's in Rittenhouse Square watching the Got game out. with Kenny yes. Boy and, uh, and, and James and, uh, and James' girlfriend. Uh, and we're sitting there watching the game. And in the middle of this, it, it's 33 nothing. Uh, Colts at one point, and Kenny goes, "Ah, I'm gonna throw some money on the Vikings to win outright money line." So he did. <laughs> no, now he's a genius. Way. Yeah, <laughs> Kenny won money line. Yeah. Oh, God Vikings money that, line when they were down thirty-three to nothing. That's a bigger comeback to me. <laughs> Which hey, throw there's there's been worse five dollars spent in the world right than throwing five bucks on the money line with a team down. What were the odds? I don't I don't recall, but I I mean he threw like five dollars down. I think he won thirty. Wow. Uh, so I'm surprised uh, you do the math. I, I figured it probably would have been more than that, yeah. honestly, being down 33, nothing. But um, and, and look, from again, we go back to this Minnesota team. Uh, th- it's another example of this this team kind of being who they are. Right. When when India, a team like Indianapolis, which the hell they did against Buffalo, too. So how much can you really criticize them for? Right. But they, they fall down. They find ways to fight back. They're exciting. If nothing else, they're exciting. They're entertaining. Um but I, I think the ceiling is there, right? I think we know, like, it, when you're playing a good team, when you're playing the Niners, if you're playing the Eagles, you know, playing the Cowboys, one of these teams, and, and we'll get to the Cowboys in a little bit here too, but one of these better teams that's someone that's better than Indianapolis, it's going to be significantly harder for you to yeah. dig yourself out of that hole. The only reason they were able to against Buffalo was one of the most amazing catches we've ever seen in NFL history with Justin Jefferson on fourth oh and long, yeah. pulling in an absolutely absurd catch. So. uh that game was absolutely insane. And um, go ahead, Scotty. The thing is, like, you you want to to like them, but they don't give you a reason to, despite being eleven and three. And you're and it's like that. There's always like somebody in your life, whether it's someone at work or like uh, somebody you know, a friend of a friend or whatever. And you're just like, I don't know why. I just don't like that guy. Uh, yeah. 
and that's what the Vikings are to me. <laughs> it's like, I don't what, know why. I don't have a reason a really not to good like you. Feeling that but, yeah. You know what? We can start calling that now because this is what it means in NFL. In, in the NFL context, it's the Kirk Cousins effect. Yeah. Right. Which is oh, that like, yeah, no, matter, no matter no matter what <laughs> wow. happens with this Minnesota team, it's because it's Kirk Cousins. Right. So now when there's somebody in your life who maybe you're not the biggest fan of or, or maybe you, uh, you know, have some you, you can't put your finger on why you don't like them. Just call it the Kirk Cousins effect, because yeah, that's, and it's that's not like you hate what you know, is. you don't hate them. You're just no. you're, you're not going to you know, like go your way just, to watch them. You know, there's just something there that doesn't make me want to buy all the way in on this guy <laughs> or girl. Um, yeah. And it's uh, it's the Kirk Cousins effect. Um, yeah. But that wasn't the only game on Saturday. We had the Ravens-Browns game. Um, there's not much to talk about with this game, but Vito, you were there, so uh, I'll get. I want to hear what the what the atmosphere was like uh, first. Uh, I guess not the first Old. win <laughs> that Deshaun Watson's had, but um, it was an ugly game. I, to be yeah. honest, I really didn't watch much of it. I, I didn't have much interest to. Uh, and we're seeing the Ravens kind of slip here. So go ahead and, and fill us in on what it was like there on on Saturday at the. Uh, at the Brown stadium for this. Yeah. So it was, first of all, crazy story. Shout out some guys, but basically I woke up to someone saying like, Hey, you want these tickets? And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll roll over and, and hit the, hit the game and uh, end up fi- meeting random, fr- like meeting new people, having them go to the game with me. This whole story is for a random life shit episode. Not, not for now, but crazy story there to fill you boys in on later, but w- the game, Two things jumped out. One, Deshaun Watts, it was his first game in Cleveland. I've never seen him play before. That guy's way fucking taller than I thought he was. Like, yeah. he is a noticeably big human being in the backfield. And his movement still, like, just his movement skills of just quickness. He's got something that, like, you're like, yeah, I forgot he was a top five quarterback before all this shit goes down. He sat out a year and then everything this year. So, um, you know, he, he definitely has a skill set that was pretty cool. But this was just a the Browns dominating the Ravens, especially defensively. And, and there's really not much more to say about it than that. I, I don't know if you guys have anything to add. I mean, look, this is a Ravens team that defensively is, is really good and is complete. Like we thought they were a mediocre offense when they had Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson was good enough for them to win games. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Tyler Huntley, you're getting a third of what you get from Lamar Jackson, right? It's, it's Lamar Jackson light, right? It's diet Lamar Jackson. Like, it's just, it's not the yeah. same thing and it's, it's not going to be. Um, and I mean, we both took Baltimore cause we didn't believe that. I'll say this. I thought Baltimore would score more than three points. Um, it's fair. The they first, ran the ball well. It's the first time. And I think it was like seven years, eight years that Justin Tucker has had a below 50% uh, field goal making. He missed, Three, one of them was blocked. The other one he missed. Um, that was crazy too. Which he lined up for a 48 yarder. Everyone in the stadium was going into half because everyone was like, that's in. And then it yeah. missed. And you should, everyone was like, that he missed. Like everyone just assumed he made it. And that's, that's what Justin Tucker does. Um, so, you know, look, if, if Justin Tucker makes that or it makes both of those, maybe the game plays out differently. Right. At the very least, you're looking at a 13 9 final, but, but, you know, butterfly effect, things change as it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is, whether or not Lamar Jackson is in or not, the defense for the for the Ravens is really good, but there's no weapons on that team. Um, it's just it's hard to look at them and, and think that this team, even if because they, they still should make it as a play as a as a wild card team, um, because at, at this point the Bengals have taken over first place in the AFC well, North. But here come the Jaguars. <laughs> um, but the Jags would have to win the division outright. 
Um, and the Raiders six and eight, the Pats are seven and seven. Like there's a bunch of teams floating around there, uh, including the uh, Miami Dolphins, who uh, will lead us into our Saturday night game, mm-hmm. which was an awesome game, uh, a great game. The talk going into it was all about the weather, whether or not Miami would be able to hang there, whether or not Miami would be able to, you know, to do to, to have their offense. Right. Um, it's another game where Tua didn't look great, right? He made some throws, um, but it wasn't a great Tua game. This is now four weeks in a row that hasn't been a good Tua game. Yeah, low um, completion percentage to your point, which has kind of been his thing, right? High completion percentage, good QBR. So you're, you're absolutely right, man. But they also got into uh, you know a situation where they were looking for overtime, right? They were winning going into the fourth quarter. Um, and, and despite a not great Tua performance, they still found a way to carry the lead into the fourth quarter and Buffalo. And, and this is why I still think when you look at the chiefs, you look at the Eagles, you look at the bills, you look at some of the best teams in football right now. This is the reason why I'm still holding on to the bills. Like why I still haven't been able to let them go, even though there's been plenty of weeks this year where they haven't looked great. They are really good at winning these close games. They've gotten so good at it in the Josh Allen era and they found another way to do it now. And in the snow, in the bad elements with snowballs coming down left and right, which, by the way, if this happens in Philly, we all know the story, right? If this happens in Philly, oh, these classes, Philly fans, what pieces of shit they are throwing snowballs at everybody. Uh, but and when it's Buffalo, it's, oh, look at those funny Buffalo. How endearing. Well, yeah. It's all also- playing in the snow. They're like little kids playing in the snow. I but think if it's Philly, we the all words- belong in jail. Yeah, the words that are yelled are usually a little different from a Philly crowd oh, than a Bills. I bet you you hear the same words. Oh, very similar, very similar. I think it's the tone of aggression, and I love it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I've had someone help me out in Philly, basically yelling at me, and I didn't understand it when I first moved here, but I get it now. Uh, but dude, to your point, the Bills. What's crazy about Josh Allen is he's still the whole team, right? Three hundred yards passing. He led them in rushing. Um, he he had ten attempts on the ground, four touchdowns. He's still. I know we talked last week about MVP race and all that stuff. What, whatever happens there, he's if he can play his best ball in this last quarter of the, of the year, which this counts for it, this is a great game. And if he can continue games like this, not only can they make a deep run the playoffs, right? Like it's all about having the best QB. At, it's the most important position on the field. So Josh Allen, if he is going to play his best when it comes time, you know, we could see him and Mahomes again in the AFC championship and none of us would be shocked. No. Well, and I think I think it's fair to say, too, if both teams are playing, if both players, quarterbacks, if every quarterback in the NFL plays their absolute best game, given their physical and mental abilities. I think Josh Allen would be number one. I think Mahomes would be right behind. But the only the only difference being that, like and again, I phrase that question specifically, their physical abilities. Right. Like Mahomes can make throws that no one else can make. But Josh Allen can make. 95% 95% of those throws Patrick Mahomes for as as athletic and as good of a runner as he is, cannot carry a team with his legs the way that Josh Allen can totally. Um, the only time that we've seen that happen is when teams bail out and go so deep into coverage that Mahomes has a 15, 20 yard scramble. Um, and he's made huge plays with his legs. He's great with that. But Josh Allen is another tier tier of athlete that uh, Mahomes as a runner just isn't quite there. But I'd say those are the number one, 1A, 1B, however you want to put them. Those are the top two guys, no question. 
Um, and, and obviously in that scenario, you throw in Lamar and Jalen Hurts and some of those other guys too, and Herbert obviously as well. Um, but I thought this was just a really big win for Buffalo. I, what I will say too is Tua didn't look great. He had the two touchdown passes. He threw for 234. Um, but what they did do in this game, which they hadn't really done a good job, but haven't shown a consistent job of, was running the football. And so I actually walked away from this game being – everyone's praising the Bills deservedly, but I think there should be a nod to what Miami did in this game because Miami ran the ball for 188 yards, which is one of the top three, I think, on the season for them in terms of rushing yards in a game. Uh, Raheem Mostert had a monster game, 17 carries for 136 yards. That's just not stuff that we've seen a whole lot of um, from this Miami Dolphins team. And they broke off the big touchdown pass to Jalen Waddle, which is the other thing. So whenever they're able to combine a somewhat decent and consistent running game, or at least the threat, right? Because a lot of Mostert's yards came from that 67-yard run that he broke off early in the game. And once that happened, it established a certain threat level that, um, you know, the Dolphins were going to try to run the ball in this game. And that opened some other stuff up. So, yes, they blew it late. Yes, I don't think Miami is quite at that level that a team like Buffalo or Kansas City is right now, given the experience and everything else. But the fact that they were able to commit to the run, 25 carries, 188 yards, was impressive to me because that's not something we've seen a lot from the Dolphins this year. No, and it could be dangerous. I mean, we've talked about this over the past couple of weeks, Jeff, is on the podcast. It's like this is what teams need to do in December and in playoff football. And so far, by and large, the Dolphins hadn't shown that they could run the ball that effectively. And and it was it was blown plays or, or big plays to uh, that were behind the secondary to Tyreek or Jalen Waddle. Um, and it wasn't a whole lot of, of, of like tight football, um, that, that is the, the kind of football you need late in the season. So, uh, for them to, to do that, if they can do that week in and week out down the stretch here, that to me is, is dangerous. But then on the other side, like Buffalo can just go off with, with whatever they have. Right, just as just as Miami can, I think they're a little more established, and I think to your point, the skill sets of some of those guys uh, on Buffalo are a little more suited, um, plus the better defense. So, uh, but yeah, my, Miami could be scary if they if they are able to run effectively like that week in and week out down the stretch here. Yeah, and it sets up an interesting finish, at least because I, I, at the very least, I think it means that even though Miami has struggled a little bit, what I really appreciated from this, and this was kind of the, the talking point going into this, this week in particular about the dolphins was, was the blueprint out, right? We saw it with the Niners and we saw it last week with the chargers that, all right, if we just have our corners play really physical, we're going to give up that one deep touchdown like Miami did right to Jalen Waddle, but that'll be pretty much it. And what Miami did a really good job in this game of kind of proving was that, Hey, we can move the ball in different ways and we can run the ball if we need to in cold weather, in the snow, we're not afraid to break that out. Um, I don't know what that means for Tua. Uh, I do think Tua is served better when you get him in a rhythm and you let him kind of cook with the short passing game to kind of help supplement that running game, but you're not going to be able to win that way in the playoffs. You, you can to a certain extent, but you have to balance that with a consistent running game of some kind, at least the threat of a running game uh, and Miami was able to at least prove that, Hey, you have to be concerned with us running the football uh, and they did. And it made a big difference. So um, great Saturday night game. And then 
like I said, we woke up, everyone watched the World Cup final. That was awesome. And that led into a, a really good early slate where all of these games ended up being one possession games in the early slate. Um, and the one of most consequence and the one I'm most eager to talk about, and my man Dougie P, once again, coming up big for the city of Philadelphia uh, and the Jacksonville Jaguars pulling off the upset in overtime against the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, at this point, like, look, I, I don't know what else we can say. Um, I said it probably about six or seven weeks ago in regards to the Cowboys defense. They were awesome at, in the beginning of the year, right? Constantly generating pressure. Um, you know, uh, digs on the outside uh, being an awesome shut, not shutdown corner, but an opportunistic corner. Someone who would go up and make plays in the air. The secondary is playing good. In back-to-back weeks, they've given up over 700 yards of offense and they've given up, I believe, over 30 points, or sorry, 70 points to the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if this Cowboys team, which everyone was saying was the number one defense in football, and again, six or seven weeks ago, not to toot my own horn here, but I'm going to, it's my birthday, I'm allowed. Uh, I said that the Cowboys defense is, is good and has the capability of being good, but they're not the world beaters that everybody was calling them through the beginning weeks of the season. And Scotty, I said this to you too, one of the, one of the articles uh, and one of the clips of the videos that was on ESPN called the Cowboys after almost losing to the Texans, the red hot Dallas Cowboys are making a push. They were the number one uh, favored team to win the Super Bowl according to ESPN analytics. None of that made any sense to me. And they come out in this game and the defense lays an egg and Dak lays another egg, despite making a bunch of really great plays in that game too. Dak did make some huge plays to keep them in it. But losing this game essentially locks up the number one overall seed for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, and going into a Christmas Eve matchup. And I do want to add this before getting to it. Some breaking news from Adam Schefter. Um, Jalen Hurts, um, I'm not excited to share this. Uh, Eagles quarterback and MVP candidate Jalen Hurts is uncertain to play Saturday versus the Cowboys due to a sprained shoulder that he suffered during Sunday's win over the Bears. Uh, Hurts was hit late in the third quarter when Bears defensive end Travis Gibson drove him into the ground. So uh, huge news in the NFL circuit. And I just think before we started talking about the Cowboys and knowing we would touch on the game this Saturday, I felt like you guys should know that. Uh, Because that broke literally about five minutes ago once we started the pod. So going to just swallow that. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, But we do have... Happy (laughs) birthday? Happy birthday. But nonetheless, the Eagles are still one win away. All they have to do is win one of their last three to clinch it. The Cowboys now basically solidifying the five seed in the NFC playoffs. I do think this loss has a lot to do. I I heard Colin Coward. I heard his take earlier, and I, I agreed with that in a way and disagree. And, and what I agree with is he said, a lot of times we look at the t- losing team and give them, you know, unnecessarily too much grief. And he thought that the best thing was the Jags feels like they found their quarterback and their coach. They have their combination. And that's the hardest thing. Like the Niners, Scotty, your Niners have the coach. They're trying to find the quarterback, right? Some people have the quarterback and they're well, trying to one find would the stay coach. healthy. <laughs> like, like they have Herbert and San Diego, but is Staley really the guy? And there is their offensive coordinator yeah. the guy. So trying to find that combo, Jacksonville kind of has. But what I disagree about is that I think the Cowboys do deserve a lot of slack for this because to your point, Jeff, everyone's talking about how great they are. And they're like a great fantasy defense. They'll get sacks and turnovers. But I, I really don't think that they're an elite defense. I mean, giving up 40, 34 in regulation, 40 total, um, not good. 
Jacksonville's defense obviously has a lot to do with that too. Um, you know, yeah, they played really well. They got three turnovers. You know, they, defense, they, they yeah. did uh, or two turnovers, and they were opportunistic in that way. They they lost time of possession in general. I think the main thing is that I'm really happy for Jacksonville. They ran the ball well. They threw the ball well. Trevor Lawrence looks like a damn good quarterback, and I'm really excited to see what happens here for the rest of their season, um, and then also the rest of his career. I'm, I'm, year two should be really exciting for the expectations in in Jacksonville. A hundred percent, especially with Doug. But look for the Cowboys. We've we've talked about it almost all season when Dak's been out there and healthy. That offense needs to run through the running game, and we've seen how bad it gets when Dak is the guy and he's going. Uh, 30, 35 plus passes. Uh, and, and it happened again, right? I mean, he had a pretty good game 23 of 30, 256 is super efficient. But like when you get down to it, and the other team's playing you close, by the way, because they're playing a really good game too, with Jacksonville was. When you get down to it and you have to make those plays in the end, look at that one that won the game in overtime. That was a forced play by Dak Prescott to get the ball to his receiver and and it ended up, you know, bouncing off off the hands and into into the Jacksonville uh, uh, cornerback's hands for the touchdown. So, yeah, uh, I, I think it can't it can't be centered around Dak and and throwing the ball uh, as much as they, especially in the last couple of weeks when they've had success, like real legitimate success running the ball, whether it's both Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott or one or the other. Um, What's interesting about Dak though is that Dak also the scramble touchdown pass to. Uh, I don't know if it was Noah Brown. It wasn't CD lamb, but there was a scramble touchdown pass. He had that put them up again before the Jags went down, whatever the last touchdown pass that he had. Um, he scrambled to his left and made a really, really smart throw directing traffic with his finger, set it up like an, like an elite level throw. And that's why I've, I've defended Dak to family members in Philly which is a really dangerous thing to do as an Eagles fan where you're defending the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys saying that I do see the elite traits in Dak Prescott, but I've also, I'm I'm always fascinated when it comes to Dak is that there's moments where Dak is elite and there's moments where Dak is bottom tier, like below Kirk Cousins tiers, where when you look at the raw numbers, like Kirk Cousins and Dak ultimately are the same quarterback. And it's weird because he kind of is the comp, but Dak does make these throws and big moments that are really, really impressive. I'll say this as everyone has been piling on. And I've seen a lot of Eagles fans on Twitter say like, Oh, Dak, you know, Dak Prescott pick six to end the game for the Cowboys and, and crush their chances of winning the NFC East. I don't put the blame on that on Dak. Like it was actually a pretty good throw when you break down the play and you look at the window he had to throw to the only place he could really put the ball and Noah Brown did a really bad job catching it like that. That to me, like it hit him square in the hands as he's sliding and hit his shoulder pad. You're in overtime you're trying to win a ball game. I didn't to me that wasn't on Dak. Dak actually made a good throw there. However, in a lot of their other losses this year and in a lot of their uh, close games like against Houston, Dak just made really bad throws and really bad mistakes and like rookie level mistakes. So the ceiling and floor of Dak, which is funny because when he first came out, he was like the model of consistency of just like, we're going to run the ball. We're going to work play action off of it. We're going to keep it simple. Yeah. And Dak was great there. And now to your point, Scotty though, which I'm, I'm kind of trying to mix the two together, which is that I see a lot of Dak 
um, they're forcing Dak to be the center of the offense. And that allows for a bigger disparity between his ceiling and his floor. Because when you let Dak cook in the middle of we're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, let him do a little bit off of that and give him just a little bit to kind of work with, that's when Dak's at his best. It's when you are force feeding him saying you have to be the heartbeat of the offense and he's airmailing guys and he's making little mistakes. But then he also makes huge throws for touchdown passes that keep you up and in games on third down. And so that's what's so fascinating to me about Dak as a quarterback, which is that I've never seen a quarterback. I'm going to say never, but it's been a while since I've seen a quarterback with the level of disparity between what his ceiling is and his floor. And there's a good chance you're going to see both in the same game. Um, I had, we, we just saw one for Penn state for the last six years. Yeah. That, that it, maybe he's, <laughs> he's the NFL version of Sean Clifford. That's probably not a bad comp. Um, either way, I do want to throw this stat out here. Trevor Lawrence uh, in his last six games, which the Jags are four and two in, by the way, 70% completion, 1,680 yards, 14 touchdowns, and one interception. Trevor Lawrence is, is playing really good football. And let's all friendly reminder to everybody, he adds Calvin Ridley to that unit next year. Oh, my uh, God. Because of the trade <laughs> at the deadline. Um, that's going to yeah. be one of those things that, like, you know, free agency will come and people will go, oh, by the way, remember, and then we'll all forget about it again. And then like preseason will come around and be like, oh yeah, remember Trevor Lawrence gets Calvin Ridley again this year. Uh, and they'll be in position probably middle of the first round, unless they find their way to the postseason, which is possible um, that they will be there uh, to draft a rookie wide receiver, someone else to help add, give him more weapons uh, though. That team definitely does need some more help on the offensive line, but I'll say this, like Micah Parsons talked all his shit. You know, and you got hung by 70, 70 points got hung on you the last two weeks by the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars and Jalen Hurts, no Jalen Hurts, whatever. Cowboys fans need to realize whatever defense you saw in the beginning of the year is not the defense that you're seeing now. Uh, and I know injuries happen to everybody. The right tackle is done for the year. That's a huge loss. Um, but this Cowboys team ain't it. And it feels like it's the same old Cowboys. They're going to get in as a wild card team, probably the five seed. And it looks like we might have a game in Philly between the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles in the postseason, which will be for the first time ever in my in my lifetime. It's crazy that we've seen uh, the Eagles and Cowboys play in the postseason. And I don't think I'm emotionally or physically mature enough to handle that. So uh, we'll get to that game as we go. Uh, some of the other one o'clock games I want to hit to uh, Lions Jets. Uh, a leave loser leaves town game in, in a lot of ways. Um, the Lions with another huge fourth down call. Uh, the the touchdown pass to the, the the tight end on fourth and inches was just. I mean, look, that's such a ballsy call because how many times do we see fourth and short and they're like, you 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 drew up a pass play on fourth and short and fourth and inches. Like, what oh, are you yeah. doing? And that paid off in the biggest way possible, which led to a huge touchdown. Uh, that won the game for them. Uh, I, I also want to say this too. Look, Zach Wilson didn't play great, but 317, 18 yards, something like that, um, in, in a game coming off the bench, there's a lot of stuff wrong. And Dan Orlovsky did a really good breakdown of one of his plays that's just showing it's like Zach Wilson just has no confidence back there whatsoever. And he drops back and he he's underthrowing swing routes. Um, He's at his best on like the deep ball touchdown to Azama was like his pro day workout, you know, where he's rolling out and just fucking slinging it. Cause that's when he feels comfortable doing it, where he just has to let it rip. 
Um, but the Lions, six and one, or they were one and six and have now gone six and one in their last seven games. Uh, no NFL team has ever made the playoffs at one and six. And I got to look up what it, what it means or what the teams, but if Washington loses this week, they're playing the Niners. And I believe it's the Seahawks are playing the Chiefs this week. If That's those, correct, yes. If, if those two things happen and uh, assuming the Niners beat Washington and uh, the Chiefs beat the Seahawks and the Lions win, the Lions are in the playoffs as soon as next week, which is absolutely insane to wow. think about um, because we thought they were going to be long shots, but with the way that Sunday night football worked out and the way that Thursday night football worked out, uh, the Lions are now just one win and a couple of losses away from sneaking into the playoffs, and they're playing really good football. Um, and they zero targets thrown against uh, Sauce Gardner this week, which might just be a smart strategy. Uh, the Jets didn't have Quinn and Williams, which is a huge loss, and obviously Zach Wilson playing, which Scotty, you and I talked about, and I said, I don't know if yeah. Mike White's going to – if we do get Mike, Mike White, if he gets cleared, I don't know. And if he doesn't get cleared – then it's Zach Wilson, which is why I took the Lions, and the Lions end up winning this game close. As a Garrett Wilson fantasy owner, once I saw that come through that Mike White was not playing, I was like, damn it. <laughs> uh, we're screwed in the flex spot, boys. But uh, <clears throat> look, I, I, I think the Jets, to their credit for, for being down, uh, the, the amount of weapons that they were, I think they did a really good job. I mean, they, they couldn't run the ball effectively at all. And that's a credit to Detroit's defense. They've been doing that all season long. Uh, but you know, Zach Wilson made plays when he had to, um, but, but the lions, man, I'm, I'm so impressed with them in all three phases of the game on defense, on offense and special teams, special teams made a huge play, which was set up by their defense doing really well, uh, pinning the, uh, pinning the jets back inside the five and then, taking the punt back for a touchdown as well. That was a, a huge uh, momentum swing in the game um, that uh, that Khalif Raymond uh, punt return for a touchdown. So uh, look, of all the seven and seven teams out there in the NFL right now, the Lions seem the most balanced uh, for, for, for being a, a 500 team. I think they, uh, if they sneak into the six or seven spot, uh, that's like, Niners territory. I don't want to play them in the playoffs. I don't. <laughs> no, they're they're a team that uh <clears throat> the thing is when you have a team that runs the ball well, they can put up points and they seem to be stopping on third downs, they're making the key plays they have to. You don't get six and one by accident in seven games. You just don't. I don't care if you're playing the worst seven teams in football. Yeah, it's, it's really, really hard, hard to win all those games. Yeah. So uh, a complete credit to them. And it, I'm just, I know we say it all the time. I'm so happy for Dan Campbell and, and like just what they've done there. Yeah. I, you can't say it enough again, starting one and six and potentially making the postseason. Um, what's crazy too right now, the Jaguars are one game behind the Tennessee Titans in the AFC South. Uh, the Jags are six and eight. The uh, Titans are seven and seven. They play each other in week 18. Um, so as long as, I mean, look, the Jags need some help. No question. The Titans with, a, with another injury now to Ryan Tannehill, they need the Titans to continue to lose, but we are only a few and, well, games the, away from the, and this, that if the Jags somehow find a way to do that. And if the Detroit lions actually find a way to make the playoffs, we would have the number one and number two overall picks from the 2022 NFL draft making the playoffs in 2022 which wow. has to be the first time that's ever happened. Um, that, 
which just it it's a great example to as to what coaching does um, and, and what roster construction means because we looked at the Jaguars and we said, oh, they brought back Cam Robinson on the franchise tag. Like he, he's a middle of the road left tackle. Like what is that going to do? Well, it at least gives you stability, right? It gives you a fighting chance. Then you bring in a new head coach. You bring in Zay Jones, who has three touchdowns. You bring in Christian Kirk. Brandon Scherf on the offensive line. Brandon Scherf, who's a huge part on that too, right? And then you use your draft picks on defense to help keep you in games and to make huge plays like a pick six to walk it off against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and, and then you look at the Detroit Lions, who they strengthened their offensive line their first year with Dan Campbell there with Penny Sewell. Now they have one of the best offensive lines in football. Uh, you look at what they've done in the draft, right? Jamison Williams comes back. He's now a massive deep threat, which changes the way teams have to defend you. You get Aiden Hutchinson on the defensive lines. You're now able to pressure a bad starting quarterback like Zach Wilson in big games. These are all the minute things that as NFL fans, we don't pay attention to in draft season. We just think, oh, Aiden Hutchinson, that means 14 and a half sacks, right? Well, you're like, all right, well, what is the context of one of those sacks, right? One of those sacks could be in a really close game that could be the difference between you making the playoffs and losing the playoffs. And the roster construction, as well as the coaching over the last two years for uh, one year, even for Jacksonville with Doug Peterson coming in after the Urban Meyer disaster, says a lot about the front office between Jacksonville yeah. and, um, and and Detroit. And I've often, I forget the name of the GM for um, Jacksonville, but he's not particularly well-liked. But you have to give him at least some sort of credit. Trent Balky. Yes, thank you, Trent Balky, who's at least given them enough pieces for Doug Peterson to work with that a good coach will be able to get them to a potential playoff spot. And I think it's fucking awesome that we're in a spot right now that we're seeing the Lions and Jags after being the number one and number two overall pick potentially make the playoffs. And if you're a, a a Lions fan, you're likely going to get a top five to top seven pick in next year's draft anyway. So um, just shout out to those two teams. Uh, I think yeah, it's amazing. It's, we're living in the matrix. That's what it is really. And, uh, and I think this is all a simulation uh, and uh, that's a, a podcast episode for another day, yeah. but, uh, but look, man, like, and I think to your point too, Jeff, people don't think about it year over year fans, right? It's well, we did this, this year and we're, we're going to be shit for a while. So, uh, but they don't think about how, look at the lines. They built this over the last, what, four or five years, six years even. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's little stuff like that, that, that you're absolutely right. And you can't think about it in the context of a given year. Uh, right. Like even when the, the Niners went to the Super Bowl, the next year we were, we had the number three overall draft pick. Right. And it's yeah. like you, you, st- you have to you have to take it in context. Exactly. Like you said. And, and, and football jumps around like that all the time. But I, I just I, and that's what makes the NFL fucking king. Right. Like this is the most exaggerated example of like going worse to not worse to first, but like worse to playoffs, at least that we've ever seen that the first and second overall draft picks. Uh, our teams that drafted number one, number two overall this year could also end up making the postseason, and I and I think that's something that is to be admired about what makes the NFL so special. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's something that I, I don't know. I, th- I think is really really fascinating, and I, I'm pulling for both of those teams to find a way to make it in because um, because that's just really fucking awesome. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, one of the other one o'clock games: Kansas City at Houston. Um, first time in a while, I feel like we've seen Kansas City at one o'clock. For whatever reason in my brain, they're either like because they're AFC West, they're AFC, they're West Coast, tech not West Coast, but they play in the AFC West. So oftentimes we see them later in the day. Feels like most of their games are either night games, primetime games, or four o'clock. 
Um, they take on the Houston Tex- Texans at one o'clock and the Houston Texans continuing to find ways to keep games really, really close, but still lose them to hold on to that number one overall draft pick for next year. Um, the Chiefs didn't look great, but I will say the Chiefs had over 500 yards of offense in this game. Uh, the Texans had, I think, 250. So no question the Kansas City was able to move the ball over. They made a couple of small mistakes, but this is kind of what we've seen now for three straight weeks from the Kansas City Chiefs, which is that they play teams that they know they should beat and they know that they can beat and know that they arguably will beat, but they just kind of sit there. And I know I've used this expression a few times, so they kind of just play with their food. They kind of just diddle around, doodle. They don't really care too much. And then, oh, shit, it's the fucking fourth quarter, and we're about to be tied and going to overtime with the Chiefs. Like, that's how it looks. Obviously, on the inside, it's far more complicated than that. The Texans are coming out and battling for their lives and their pride and all that stuff, which is, you know, no one's as desperate as a 1-12 in team trying to find a way to to win more games. Um, But the Chiefs find a way to hold on to another big win uh, albeit by the skin of their teeth. Uh, and since that game against the Bengals, uh, the Chiefs haven't quite looked as good, but at the same time, their, their offensive numbers through that whole stretch have been ridiculous. So um, where, how do we feel about the Chiefs right now, knowing that it hasn't looked pretty in their last four games, including the loss to Cincinnati, but they've still found a way to pull off wins in each of those games? I, I personally think that, like you're, to your point, the offense is still moving. There's still 500 yards of offense. You know, I think the turnovers, their two turnovers were, say, untimely on their side. And um, the other thing is that they, they didn't, for the Texans being as bad as they are, they got a couple third key third down conversions, kept drives alive. Listen, they, they uh, the Chiefs outgained the Texans by double the amount of yards. They, um, but they also had 10 penalties for a hundred yards. So it felt like a lot of the chiefs uh, to your point, shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, the Texans were obviously in it. Davis mills, um, 50% completion, but he had a couple of tutties and, uh, we had a Royce Freeman, uh, sighting, uh, out of yeah. the backfield, Yeah, I did see that kind of while I just like for, I mean, he was on the Broncos, right? I forgot he existed there for a minute. Um, Damian Pierce out for the year. So, yeah. Uh, but Kelsey obviously had a game. Um, listen, I think that this is just a Mahomes spreading the ball out, doing his thing. Should they have won this game earlier? Yes. I think if they didn't have Mahomes, they lose this game. I mean, he had 40 plus attempts. He was 36 of 41. That is the highest quarterback completion percentage in NFL history when a quarterback has 40 or more passing attempts. It's at like 87%. So um, a historic game for Mahomes to barely beat a one in 12 team. Yeah. yeah there, there are concerns he, in KC. They need to, the team needs to pull together around him and perform better. But he's got like five straight weeks over a three thirty, which is ridiculous too. So uh, I'm not worried about Mahomes. Like it's a lot, a little different this year than it was last year. Uh, when we're talking about the Chiefs in, in, in at this point in the season, right? Last year, it's like, oh, are they done? Have ever, has everyone figured out? Um, how to how to play defense against Mahomes and 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 Eric Bieniemy's offense, and and in the end we were like, eh, no, except for the for the Bengals in the uh, in the AFC Championship game, right? This year they have an effective running game. They have Isaiah Pacheco back there who's been really good. They have Jarek McKinnon who has been absolutely electric over the past three weeks, mm-hmm. both out of the backfield uh, running the ball as well as receiving um, over the past two weeks, and. and 
I, I feel like on offense for them, it's more like, like you said, Jeff, they kind of just sit around and it's like, it's going to be Kelsey and, and Juju and, and whoever else. Right. 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 Okay. And then they finally figure it out during the yeah. game. And so well, uh, I, I think that's, that's a concern. Like, especially if you're similar to, to what we talked about um, earlier with the Vikings, where it's like, yeah, your team's really, really good on both sides of the ball. But, um, but like, if you get in one of these situations against a really good team that you're playing in the postseason, it's gonna be harder to climb out of that uh, than yeah. it will be against the Texans. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good point, Scott. Um, I, I'll say this though, like the way that they're similar to Minnesota is more just like the offense. You're confident can score when they want to score, right? Just. It, for Minnesota, the cheat code is Justin Jefferson. For Kansas City, it's Patrick Mahomes, which is why Kansas City's offense is a lot better than Minnesota's, despite Minnesota also having good offensive numbers. Mm -hmm. But it was the small mistakes. And Vito, you said it there, right? The penalties was a big part of it. But it was the two fumbles, right? It's the fumble yeah. on your own 25-yard line that made it 25 yards when you have a two-quarterback system of uh, Jeff Driscoll and Davis Mills coming at you from the Houston Texans uh, and then fumbling again at the 50 yard line. And you're creating short fields for bad teams and bad quarterbacks. And even in the NFL, that's going to burn you. And we're going to talk about the Eagles game in a little bit, but that's the same reason why Chicago kept that game close was because of simple, dumb mistakes from teams that shouldn't be making them because they're playing lesser opponents. But as we always say, and this is the same thing for, uh, you could say for the Dallas-Houston game last week or the Dallas-Jacksonville game this week, though I think Jacksonville is actually a pretty good team. You could say it during the, the Philly-Chicago game this week, the Kansas City-Houston game. It is the NFL, right? And if you don't come with your absolute best, you're going to lose games. And it's so easy because that's the thing, too. It's like we talk about this all the time. And there's some NFL guys who I love, like one of my favorite NFL guys and I've mentioned him on the pod before. His name's Ben Solak. He works for the Ringer. He's as respected. He's like 26, too. This dude's a fucking dick. He's this successful at 26. Um, <laughs> but he's so he is really, really good, and he obsesses over this, and he's got a brilliant football brain. Um, but he also talks about NFL teams in a way that, that kind of irks me, which he goes like, well, this team just fucking sucks, right? And, and we do the same thing, right? Because we're fans and we say that. But – Whenever I say that in the heat of a game or whatever, like I said it a million times, we're losing to the fucking Bears right now. Like we're going to like really, right? I also know mm -hmm. that when cooler heads prevail and I calm down after an Eagles game, it's the NFL and there's elite caliber athletes and, yeah. and football players on the other side and weird losses and games happen all the time, particularly this year, which feel in the last couple of years, which has seemed more like an anomaly um, than, than, for most of my life as a football fan. So it, they happen. And especially at this point of the season, um, you're looking ahead, you're looking at the playoffs, you know that you're set, you have enough wins banked that you know that the playoffs are going to come. And I think for both Kansas city and Philly and, and Dallas, even to a certain degree started kind of looking ahead, thinking that they had this game in hand and they haven't. And part of that comes to coaching and part of that comes to just off days which even NFL players have off days. Even the best of the best have off days. So one thing I do have to throw out here, <clears throat> personal note, gambling sesh. Uh, <laughs> dude, I, first of all, didn't lose a, a one bet this whole weekend. It was my best weekend ever. Holy but shit. one of, yeah, it was insane. I, I made way too much money this weekend, which is great. But Birthday the crazy present part, or 
what, what am I getting yeah, in the yeah. mail? <laughs> there we go. It was good timing. Is it, is it on the way? Is it on the way? Yeah, What's, yeah. Uh, it's like when's a, it going to get here? It takes like three days to go from my checking to my saving. It's a whole thing. <laughs> I don't really remember. Uh, but no, uh, so the Chiefs, if they, I had a minus four because it was teased. Dude, they, at the end of that game, get the fumble in overtime. And I'm like, shit, they're just going to kick it. And it's over. And they decide to run the ball and they run for a touchdown. And I am screaming like crazy. That was a, th- that was a hundred and $25 play for me. Just that wow. one. Run. All I needed was them to score a touchdown. It was the last leg of this giant teaser and God damn it. Did they come through? So I was freaking awesome. the fuck out when the chiefs. Well, <laughs> and, and I'll say this too. No one cares about fantasy, but like I ended up losing first round of the playoffs at second week. I had to play the same team the last week of the regular season and the first round of the playoffs and got fucked both times by the new England Patriots scoring a defensive touchdown. Mm. So fuck you Patriots, especially I'm glad you lost the way that you did. And we're going to get to that game in a little bit. Um, but also, I picked up Jarek McKinnon free agency like a month ago, and it has to be one of the most clutch and smart because I knew this was coming. I knew there was going to be a Kansas City player who was going to break out and become Mahomes' favorite, and it's always a little pass-catching running back, and I saw McKinnon, and I grabbed him. Back-to-back 30-point games. He put me up 30 in my fantasy matchup. Ultimately, didn't come through. It happens. Um, but Jarek McKinnon – I, well, I, you know, he's got a home with me forever. If you're ever in the Falls Church area, Jarek McKinnon, you can come stay with me. I'll put you up. I'll feed you. We got some decent bourbon here. I'll take care of you. Don't you worry about it, Jarek McKinnon. And Vito will do the same for you if you're ever in Philly, unless you're 100%. playing the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, all right. Speaking of the Philadelphia Eagles, let's uh, let's talk about the Eagles and the Bears. Um, this is kind of the last of the significant games, uh, only because for the Eagles, look, they find a way to win this game. It was ugly. Uh, 30 mile an hour winds in Soldier Field. It was like 18 degrees on TV. You're kind of sitting there going like, what the fuck is happening? Like, how are the Eagles in this game, like looking as terrible as they are against the team as bad as as the Chicago Bears? Well, the Bears had two weeks of game plan coming off their bye, um, which is one aspect of it Two, The wind was outrageous. Um, and I think for everybody on both sides of the ball, because Justin Fields struggled to throw the ball, uh, the wind, I mean, we saw it early on in the game too, where the Bears neglected to kick a 48-yard field goal because the wind was so strong and instead punted it, um, what, what, punted what would have been a 48-yard field goal, which I know the Bears have some, some trauma associated with kickers, but 48 yards in the NFL, you're feeling pretty good about sending your kicker out there. So I think that does have to come into play. I think it's similar to like, hey, whenever you have weird weather games, um, it's just going to affect the outcome of the game. And it's going to make it seem closer than it probably was. But the Bears came to play flat out. And and the first quarter of this game was the worst first quarter Jalen has played all year. No question about it. Two interceptions that were both terrible throws, which whether the wind made an impact or not, and he didn't adjust for that or wasn't used to playing in that, that's fine. Could be a valid excuse. You still threw, turned them over, turned the ball over twice, um, which is something he hadn't done all year. Uh, the Eagles defense comes out. Um, Hassan Reddick, 12 and a half sacks right now, fifth in the NFL in sacks, number one in forced fumbles, number one in fumble recoveries. Uh, the Eagles are defense saved them in this game, despite Justin Fields still finding a way to break off one of his crazy runs, which Scotty, I said the same thing to you on Thursday when we were recording Friday's pod that yeah, Justin Fields is probably going to break off one of those crazy runs. And he did. And that led to a touchdown. Uh, the miles Sanders fumble, right? Uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic mistakes by the Eagles in the game that they just weren't super sharp. 
Uh, and yet they still found a way to win. The biggest question now that we just learned at the start of this pod, Jalen Hurts injured uh, and what the rest of that kind of looks like for them is obviously going to be a concern. But nonetheless, they win this game. They're one win away from locking down the one seed. Uh, they said long term, there doesn't seem to be any concern that he wouldn't be ready for the playoffs. It's just a sprain. So maybe we see Gardner Minshew on Saturday, which would put a damper on Christmas Eve. But um, nonetheless, the Eagles one went away from locking down the one seed. Yeah, man. I think that number one, it was just the turnovers. It seems sloppy, but credit to your defense. Cause I mean, Justin field, I love the NFL. So in the NFL, your uh, sack yards go against your passing yard total. Yeah. So Justin fields threw for 150 but they ended up with 91 yards passing because of the fact that they sacked him for almost 60 yards. I mean, yeah. like, yeah, he had that great scramble, but this defense, I mean, you would almost chalk it up as a, as a, like he went off. I think, I don't even know how many rushing yards he ended with. It looks like 95. I legitimately think that you can say that that defense from the Eagles, that defensive line was almost a net neutral because their impact was huge too. They ended drives given like he, you know, fields extended it and had some amazing plays but they absolutely kept themselves in this game with that defense. And then on the offensive side, yeah, it was just their sloppiest game of the year. I don't know what to say. Jalen didn't look right. The, the thing I was going to mention, and, and I, I, it's hard to say this now, but I promise you I was going to mention this before the injury was like, man, he took more hard hits this game than any other game I'd seen all year from him. He yeah. usually is so good about getting down and sliding, and he was taking shots from linebackers and safeties uh, like a lot during this game. Uh, yeah. 17 carries for him. That's a lot. Uh, even for Hertz. And and I'll say this too. I thought the play calling was really bad. And, and I've said this a million times on this podcast. I hate criticizing play calling, but I thought Steichen and, and part of it, it was play calling and decision-making multiple third and shorts that Jalen's throwing deep balls. Um, yeah. The running, the running game, just not once throughout. There was one stretch in the third quarter where the Eagles committed to it and then marched down the field and scored a touchdown. And that was it. And the, and look with this offensive line, you have to get them in some sort of rhythm because it felt like, hey, they opened up wanting to throw the football. That was clearly because we've talked about this with the Eagles. They can win games in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. So in their mind, they're thinking, all right, whatever they schemed up in their room, the way to attack the Bears was going to be through the air, right? That wasn't working. And they didn't do a good job of adjusting when they needed to until the third quarter. They go down and score the touchdown before the halftime. That was huge, right? Um, but for the most part, the offensive line didn't play well because they didn't get an opportunity to get into any sort of rhythm. They couldn't run block because they weren't calling plays. So then when it's second and long, because you're throwing deep half the time and your offensive line hasn't gotten to any sort of run back blocking rhythm, you're now behind the eight ball because you're only picking up one yard. And now you got third and nine and Jalen's got to try to throw a deep ball again. But then even when you had third and short, you abandoned the run then too. I thought the play calling was exceedingly bad by Shane Steichen and whatever their game plan was in this game, not accounting for the weather, whatever was, was really bad. The one thing I want to say though, was when it came to its most important moments in this game, in particularly the deep ball to AJ Brown mm. um, that set them up for the third touchdown and the uh, first down conversion uh, on third and five to, to end the game our third and six, whatever it was, to end the game on the quick slant to A.J. Brown. Those two plays were Jalen Hurts making elite-level throws in a game that he wasn't making any good throws, and he found a way to still hit them perfectly. And as we're learning now, 
with a sprained shoulder. They didn't say which shoulder it was. I'm hoping it's his non-throwing. Um, but like the deep ball to, J- to AJ Brown was just absolutely perfect. Uh, and, and that's a play that like won them the game, essentially. Uh, the defense obviously kept them in it the whole time. But even though Jalen wasn't his best, and look, he struggled in the first two quarters, he still threw for 317 yards and 30 mile an hour wins, right? Yeah. He still had three rushing touchdowns. So even on his worst game of the year, if you want to say that, he still played pretty fucking amazing. Um, it, it wasn't great. It, it wasn't perfect, but he did do a really good job. He also tied Cam Newton for all-time games from a quarterback uh, with multiple rushing touchdowns in the same game. Wow. This is his second full-time season as a full-time starter. And <laughs> like Jalen finds ways to win and not in like the Tim Tebow style. We're like, Oh, this guy just finds ways to win games. Like, no, like he does that, but he also makes elite level plays. Um, so even though he didn't look great, the whole, the, especially throughout the first half, he still came up big in the moments that needed him most uh, while injured and found a way to win this game. The defense looked unbelievable. Uh, shout out to, I mean, look, I still don't love Jonathan Gannon, but um he's starting to at least win me over with the way this defense is playing. That's like um, the nicest thing any Philly fan has ever said about a coach. Was like, I know. He's starting right? to win me over. Like- <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, Darius Slay blew a huge coverage uh, on that easy touchdown pass to, yep. I, I forget whoever it was on, on the bears, um, which I hated that sucked um, because it meant that the game was so alive. Cause at that point it felt like, Hey, every time the Eagles were up two scores, like, all right, cool. We got this. We're comfortable now. There was some small mistake that they that you could tell the team relaxed because they were so uncomfortable being out there, but they still found a way. Um, I do want to touch on this, though, too. Justin Fields, I don't know if you guys have taken a look at his rushing total on the season. 1,000 yards exactly. Third quarterback ever to eclipse the 1,000 rushing yard uh, mark. That is Justin Fields. And the third Chicago Bear, probably. <laughs> well, no, because the only the only ones were uh, Lamar, Lamar and Vic, right? I think Michael Vick. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only two players in NFL history to uh, at the quarterback position to rush for a thousand yards. He's at one thousand exactly, um, which which is pretty great. He's, I mean, look, I'll say this: watching your team go up against Justin Fields is terrifying. Um, yeah, that guy's it, coming. It, it strikes, and another. It strikes a fear in you in the way that very, very few players do. Another good loss for the Bears, right? Like they've clearly found their quarterback. Yeah. Uh, so keep losing. <laughs> You're just yeah. lining yourself up to, to get a, a really legit good one uh, first round talent. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they're pretty much locked into the number two overall pick at this point. Um, Texans will be one. They'll be number two. The Broncos, one behind the uh, the Bears, but uh, that quarterback goes. That- <laughs> That well, that pick would go to the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, cool. Uh, sorry, Thanks. sorry about that. Um, all right. The <laughs> other the other games in the one o'clock window, not much to write home about. Uh, Falcons Saints. Um, Desmond Ritter didn't look great. No, didn't look great. Looked didn't like look a rookie. Awful. Yeah, didn't look awful. Um, he actually brought them back in the second half. Uh, Ninety-seven passing yards. Yeah, no, that's not great. But he did look better in the second half. He did. Um, uh, and the Saints got off to a big lead in the first quarter and then pretty much looked like dog shit the rest of the time. Uh, and then the other one, Steelers, Panthers, the Steelers uh, defense comes to live. I don't know if it's the 50 year anniversary of the Franco, the reception, Franco Harris, 
Obviously, that's right up our boy Vito's alley. Uh, maybe the Steelers. It's next week, isn't it? Um, I think. It I is, think it's Saturday. It is. It's this weekend. Um, will be the the 50 year anniversary. Um, but you know, just the vibes. They're getting ready for it, and the defense yep. came out to play. Uh, but that game was a whole lot to do about nothing as well. Um, not a great performance from Sam Darnold, which is not couldn't expected. run the ball. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, look, we were in Scotty and I's defense. We did both take Carolina minus three, but we also. <laughs> We were also forced between betting on Sam Darnold or Mitch Trubisky slash Mason Rudolph. That's not good for anybody, right? No one's having a good time in that situation. So uh, we'll, we'll go on from there. All right, but the Panthers still alive. <laughs> still alive, as are the Saints. Right now, the Panthers, the Saints, and the Falcons are all five and nine with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at six and eight, just one game ahead of them. The NFC South might take the record for the worst division in NFL history in a single season. Uh, which would be amazing. So, uh, all right, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. We got the afternoon slate. Obviously, what I think are the two biggest plays that I've wanted to talk about all uh, day today will hit both of them, one in the Tennessee and Chargers game uh, and the other one in the Raiders and Pats game. We'll hit all that on the other side, wrap up the pod, and get you on the way to the rest of your week. The afternoon slate, I've been chomping at the bits to get to this. Um, first off, one of my favorite plays in football that I haven't seen happen since a random college game, I think it was a Virginia Tech game years ago, happened in the Chargers and Titans game. And we're going to get to that. Um, but I need to pull up what the clip was because it's one of my favorite plays in football, and I don't know why teams don't do it more often. But we have to get to a play that no team in NFL – history has ever done and should never do again and that is the patriots and the raiders and what in the living fuck was going through jacoby myers mind now i i get it look he's answered the questions he's already faced the music by the time we're, we're recording this he knows and he even said i was trying to do much i was trying to be a superhero i was trying to be the hero i was trying to do all the shit I, in my life, and for multiple reasons, right? Because I'm sitting there next to my girlfriend watching this happen. And she's like, oh my God, that play was crazy. And I was like, I know, I know, I, I can't. And she was like, why are you like stunned? Like, why does it look like you just watched like somebody get shot? Like, you, like that was the face facial expression. Like my jaw hit the floor. She was like, pick your jaw up. You're, you're gasping. And it's because my brain couldn't process what happened because I've never seen an NFL play where the ball travels 30 yards backwards towards the line of scrimmage after it was handed off from one team to the other, but it was an interception, right? It goes an interception. Actually, it was a fumble recovery technically, right. um, but it looked like it was a touchdown pass. Like the way that my brain conceives football is ball goes left to right, receiver catches it, runs for touchdown. <laughs> That's what it looked like if you removed all the colors and, and stuff from a jersey. I would love to see the dots. You know how they do the dots and the yeah. analytics play. I would love to see what the dots look like there um, because your brain just doesn't process football that way. You don't see passbacks like that. that get picked off and run. You see fumbles sometimes on the pitch play. Uh, and, and clearly this wasn't Belichick. Like uh, for all the people that were like, holy shit, I can't believe Belichick told them to do the pitch play. I think, I think it's on Ramondre Stevenson. I don't know why he started the pitching, because that's just making it seem like, all right, well, we're doing the pitch play, so he's going here. Uh, now I'm going to do the pitch play. Like, yeah, the whole totally... thing was insanity. Or if, if you're the second guy, like, 
you have a look at the clock or, or realize that like clearly it's been longer than five seconds. So just go to overtime. But like that's the whole point of that place, like because as long as you keep the ball alive, it doesn't matter where the clock's at, right? Like you're still moving around. None of it made any sense. It was chaos, and then it ended with an absolute fucking stiff arm to the fucking depths of hell from Chandler Jones, who sent Mac Jones to the absolute ground. It was the, um, it was posterized. It was he unbelievable. Posterized. Yeah. And I want to add <laughs> one other thing here. Um, have either of you heard the home radio broadcast? call yeah. for this for, for the Raiders no. for the for the play so the play-by-play guy is a guy by the name of Jason Horowitz who I have oh, produced yeah. I've produced more radio and know Jason as well as anyone else I've worked with in my career uh, I know Jason extremely well I've met his family I know his kids and to see him get an opportunity to call not just some of the other crazy shit that happens for the Raiders this year he's had a couple of monster calls but to have that play on his resume and the call that he nailed and ending it with it's the first day of Hanukkah and we have a miracle or something <laughs> along those lines. And he's Jewish. And it was like, unbelievable. It was, it was so fucking awesome. awesome. And I was so happy for my guy I texted him afterwards. And I was like, dude, unbelievable call. Congrats. Like that was amazing. One um, other thing. Craziness. Just a, just oh, fucking insane. craziness. Another call about it was Steve Levy, I believe, had it for whatever the national broadcast was. It sounded the, ra- it was, the radio, it was, the ESPN. It was Kenny radio. Albert. Yeah. yeah, it was. Oh, it was oh, okay. Radio. Yeah. So anyway, but the, the the call that I heard, which was great, was midway through that play, as they're moving down, Ramondre Stevenson is running, he goes, Stanford's band is nowhere to be seen. A throwback to the band play. And and if you guys know yeah. me, I, me and my friends always yell, Oh, and the band is on the field when anything crazy happens block punt whatever yeah and of course was- he says it and then what happens is one of the craziest plays in the last 30 years of football dude that throwback and then chandler jones jumping it first of all chandler jones missed the tackle of ramondre stevenson at the line of scrimmage okay then he sat there and waited he cherry picked we've all been in middle school where you don't want to run back on defense you just wait there he was like whatever you know they're not going to score it's fine and then the ball just comes fucking thrown right to him he jumps up grabs it and all he has is Mac Jones. I love the, and the people saying right now, he's like, dude, Bailey Zappi would have made that tackle. I don't know about that. But oh, what please. I do know, what I do know <laughs> is that he got absolutely Chandler Jones, the beast. He used to be a Patriot, right? I love the fact that he made this play, but that is without a doubt, one of the most exciting things that we've seen all season in the last t- seriously 30 years. That is a play that now forever, no one will ever do that again. This is the teaching moment for all of football. This will not happen again in 30 years. I really believe that because this will be on all the highlight reels of what to do in game well, situations. Here's the thing, though, Vito. Like, it's not because it shouldn't have happened to begin with. Like, I think no. everybody already, whatever lesson that would have been learned from being like, oh, we're not like the the Rob Gronkowski, the Miami miracle against the Patriots a couple of years ago, right? It's putting in Gronk there as the Hail Mary threat, right? Like, I think teams learned from that and said, hey, we're not going to put like, a big knockdown wide receiver guy there. We'd rather just have an extra defensive back, someone who learns they, and trains. They had Matt Collins back there. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, like, like I think teams are learning not to do that as much. But the the lesson that was supposedly supposed to be learned from this, everybody already knew. If it's a tie game, you either throw a Hail Mary, which Bill Belichick said afterwards was it was too far to throw it, Mm-hmm. which I believe it would have been about a 60 to 65 yard throw to get to the back of the end zone, which Mac Jones definitely has that arm strength. Yeah. So I don't know 
what I think that was just an excuse from Bill. I think it was time. Um, I think it was more of a timing thing. They didn't think they could hold the pocket because they were getting which, blown up. Which that could be it Fair, too, right? right? Uh, to yeah, it could just but be, hey, way. we can't throw it. That could either be arm strength. It could just be in the pocket, whatever. Um, but I would also say that if it's a tie game, you take the knee, go to overtime, or you throw the Hail Mary. There's nowhere in between. And that's like a pretty standard set rule in the NFL. Or you make a run play and maybe you get lucky and break it, but you at least have guys on the back of the end zone to be prepared for a potential jump ball or whatever. Uh, the pitch play on a tie game is not something that any competent NFL team does, which makes it even that much crazier that the it happened with the fucking Patriots. Like, right? And this all comes after, too, the questionable call with the touchdown catch in the back of the end zone, which – Look, there was – who scored the touchdown? I think it was – I think it was in a Jaguars game last week. There was a touchdown that – I think it was Zay Jones on the Jaguars where from the angle from the TV, it didn't look like his feet were in. But then they had the pylon view. And the pylon view, you could see his feet – there was like three blades of green grass in, (laughs) in between, right? And they, they called it a touchdown on the field and they said the play stood right in this play. It looked identical to the, to the out of bounds line as the play the week before did, but they didn't have the pylon cam angle and they called it it as as it stood. Um, And I just, I don't know. I sit here and I just kind of go like, I, I understand why it was called as stance, right? Because the other thing too is, when you have those really high up cameras, like that one was like the far back and the sky zone kind of view. And that's the only view you have of him looking like his foot was out of bounds. It is objectively hard to overturn that call. Totally. Um, for clear and so, evidence, yeah. For, to have clear evidence. That's, that's very unclear evidence in any way in or out. <laughs> and I understand Patriots fans frustrations. Like I get it. If I was, if I was in the same boat, I'd be saying, what the fuck? Like there's, that looks like a pretty clear angle of his foot being out. But if they come out and say, Hey, there's not clear and undisputable evidence. Like I also can't argue it because I've seen plays like that, that have had the exact same thing. So totally. Um, going yeah, back I don't know. To, going back to your other point. I think the lesson learned is from a player standpoint of like, I honestly don't mind one pitch. Let me say that. I don't mind if you're doing a run play. And then the whole thing was, Hey, we're going to run this draw. And this dude's just off to the sideline of you behind you and, and, and towards the sideline pitch it to him. And if he makes something happen, great, if not, whatever. And maybe he has another pitch guy behind him, but to just turn around and chuck the ball backwards, 30 yards is, is that's the moment of, of learning. Cause for me, right. I, I grew up playing rugby. This, this lateral game literally happens in a whole sport. I know it's not practice as much in, in the NFL, but like these guys are athletes. They can do a couple pitches. It falls to the ground. You're probably going to get the tackle. I don't mind it as much. But the turnaround and throwing it is like, yeah. When that happened, everyone, I think every, I can speak for all of us. Everyone's just like, what, what the fuck are you doing? And throwing it to Mac Jones, too. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. You can't double pass that shit. Like, there, Jacoby, was, Myers, Jacoby Myers was a college quarterback. Yeah. And you could tell he was slinging it, right? And he threw it backwards, not, not to the other sideline, right? If you throw it out of bounds over the other sideline, whatever. But like, this was bad. But in a tie it's ball the, game, and I will say this, sorry, Scott, I didn't interrupt, but like, last thing to what you were saying, Scott DeVito. Like, this is by far the last time any team will ever attempt a pitch play when it's a tie game, which, Probably. by the way, I think you could maybe count. I've never seen it before. That's not to say it hasn't happened or that I maybe forgot one. 
I can't ever remember a tie game end of regulation doing a pitch play because I remember the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Brandon Graham picked off a Derek Carr pitch play thing uh, against it was on Christmas Day and and took it back for a touchdown. So it's like I've seen that happen before. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see that for it. And that's one thing. Look, if you're losing, you're in desperation mode. If you're a tie game, you have a chance to win a fucking football game. Um, sorry, Scotty, go ahead and jump in with what you were going to say. No, I was, I was going to ask Vito from a rugby team. It's the, it's the high percentage look, right? It's not turning around and throwing it 30 yards behind that's, you. That's the difference, man. And I think to Jeff's point, no matter what, this is, this is a drastic example now of now no one will do this. And I don't think get to your point. That wasn't the plan. I think Stevenson was like, Hey, I'm going to pitch this. So then, then Jacoby gets the ball and he's like, fuck, I need to keep this alive. It, it's, yeah. it doesn't matter what your coach said beforehand. You were in absolute reaction mode. You're in the NFL, you have elite athletes running at you and you think that you have the ball and you have to keep it alive for whatever he thought at the time. And obviously to your point, Jeff, he said everything he needs to say, but this is one of those losses that sucks. I don't think anyone thinks that this is, um, you know, the Patriots still probably will, well, maybe won't make the playoffs. We'll see what well, happens. That's, but that's what makes it so big, right? Because yeah, it could have an touchdown, opportune. Yeah. Between the touchdown call where they didn't get a good angle to, to prove whether he was in or out. And then that play... You go from being eight and six after the t- after all the other losses that happened in the AFC that like actually helped you out, that gave you a chance. Where all of a sudden we're turning around, going like, "Hey, the the Pats are only a game behind the Dolphins, and they have to play another game, right?" Um, and and you're talking about like the Ravens at nine and five, and now you're only one game behind the Ravens at eight and six, and, and all of these things like eight and six at this point pretty much locks you, not locks you, but between. The Dolphins at eight and six, the Ravens at nine and five, and the Chargers at eight and six. This gives you a chance. If the Pats are eight and six, you're right in the mix. And I don't know how all the tiebreakers would have be, you know, broken out if the Pats had won that game, but they at least would have been tied with the Dolphins and the Chargers. And then you have the Ravens who would have been in there at nine and five, who, unless Lamar Jackson comes back, are probably going to slide to nine and six. And then you're one win away from finding a way to the playoffs. This puts you two back with, and, with three to go too. Yeah. And essentially ends your chances of, of making the playoffs. So it's just a monumental mistake, but more than anything, just the most insane moment. One of the most insane moments I would say right now it's number one, um, which is crazy. Cause I didn't think anything would top the Justin Jefferson fourth down catch. And, and the fumble in the end zone and all the stuff that happened with the Vikings and, and Bills. I didn't think anything would top that, and this has now topped that. This, the the ending it. of this game was unreal. I watched it, no joke, after Red Zone. They showed it like five different times at the end of, of Red Zone. I and went I was, back live. Like, I was and, floored and, every time. And I, I watched it on YouTube no less than like 25 times today, I, and I was still like, Circulating how? Twitter, I mean, like <laughs> yeah. everyone and their sister shared. So it's, it's a the, huge, The fact huge, that we had this – and the Vikings come back in this weekend with a World Cup best final maybe ever. This is why we all started saying this is the most crazy weekend ever. And to unpack it takes a while. But like, yeah. th- not to mention, th- there's other great things we're going to get to. Like, it, there's, it's not done. This yeah. is crazy. Yeah, happy. happy. This, this weekend was as drunk as I was on Friday night, which was <laughs> very, very drunk. Um, all right. Now, I, I alluded to this when we started, when we came back from the break. Um, Titans Chargers, my favorite play, my fucking fit. One of my, like, I could honestly, if I made a Mount Rushmore of my favorite football plays, this one would be on it, which is the defensive back jumping in bounds, out of bounds, 
to bat a ball back to his teammate to intercept yes. it. And I never understand why more guys don't do it, which I understand. I, I can't but, say I don't understand. I do understand because coaches tell you knock the ball down. If it's out of bound, let it go. Because there's on also, the same side, you could bat it in and a wide receiver could catch it and run it for a touchdown. But there's also I, a rule. Like what the rule is like if he had batted out with one hand backwards, that's a, an illegal play. But the fact that he caught it and then tossed it to his, his teammate in the end zone is legal. I don't, I don't think that's illegal. I don't think, I think that's it's just the direction of it. Yeah, that's what I mean. He he could have like batted it backwards, you know. But that's an illegal play. But the fact that he caught it and pitched, here's, pitched here's it like the forward thing, to his it, team. It's a very ambiguous play, right? Because the difference of a pass breakup or whatever, like, because he didn't catch it. That was not a – the I forget who the defensive back was for Tennessee. did not yeah. catch it. He had two hands on it, and volleyball, you know, two-hand spiked it. Just like set it, yeah. Like, yeah. like set, yeah, exactly. He like just set it, and it just landed perfectly in, in the lap. Now, he did move it forward, um, but that's also one of those things where it's like, well, then any tipped ball could be ambiguous, right? Like, so I, I don't – I think there is a rule about it, but I also think it's one of those things that's incredibly difficult to call. Right. Cause if he catches it and establishes possession and then does it, but if you're in midair catching the ball as the ball is out of bounds and then throw it backwards or forwards or whatever, like there, there, there's a whole weird thing about establishing possession, but you don't have your feet in bounds. Yeah. So I yep. think it's basically just considered a pass breakup that falls into the arms of another player, which happens all the time in football. Yeah. Um, but I love on, that play so much. And, and on you, top of that, like the, the catch that the, the other cornerback made yeah. to to make the Got play feet and keep both feet in bounds. Yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Do you, Vito, do you remember the play or Scott? Do you remember the play I'm talking about? I think it was a Virginia Tech game. Um, it I was a, it was in college. I I do know this. I do know that this is a play we I've even talked about for Hail Marys. Uh, I I know SMU did something like this, but it was both in bounds. But it was a jump yes. up catch and setback. So SMU did that last year with Mordecai. Grant was on the field, uh, but wasn't. Uh, involved in the actual play, but that was insane. Um, so there have been some recently, but this is a great play. This is up there. I agree in terms of rules and things that teams should do. Like why not, if you need to get the ball out of bounds and you know, they're guarding the sideline, have your receiver run a corner. No, he's got to jump ridiculously far out, grab it, tip it back into your own guy and have him catch it. Like this is something that I think as the game evolves, we will see people try and do it a little more. Now, there's a huge negative part of the receiver can't touch out of bounds at any point before touching the ball or it's a penalty. There's a lot of penalties that could happen running this play, so it needs to be desperation mode, but beautiful, beautiful play. Um, It's the exact opposite of what we're talking about with Jacoby. It's like, man, what a heads-up play. You made a difference in this game. Uh, You know, It was him being the Superman. By the way, the game was uh, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, uh, November 27th, 2010. Oh, wow. was that was the game um and i think it happened one other time i swear it was a tech game um but it, it's one of my i remember like, it fondly uh yeah yeah of course who doesn't remember 12 years ago Oklahoma, you know bedlam from 12 years ago uh there's probably actually a lot of college football fans yeah. who'd be like of course i remember exactly what i was doing that yeah <laughs> um but no i remember that that and it's just one of those things where it happens so rarely but when it does it's just like holy fuck what a brilliant football play in addition to, it also reminds you of like being in the backyard with your one friend who had the pool and you would do the thing where you'd like pass the ball and everyone was in the air when you pass it. And pop. 
Pop. Yeah. And then the last guy would like dunk it in the in the pool rim, right? Yeah. And like everyone like freaks out. Like everyone's seen those <laughs> videos, but like I remember vividly being in high school and all of us doing that, like pop and like setting it up and passing it, and then the last person jumps in and like goes through the legs as they're coming down and dunks it. So it scratches that like nostalgic, just like fun itch, but also like God, as you said, Vito, like the antithesis of what the Jacoby Myers play was, which is that like just a brilliant heady play that essentially keeps them in that game and, and made a huge difference, um, which that game ended up being aside from that amazing play, a really close game because the Titans find a way to go down and score late. Tannehill gets hurt early in the game has to be carted off the field, comes back. I'm assuming they shot him up with something. Um, he didn't look right. He was obviously limping throughout the whole game, um, but they still found a way to go down there and, and, and tie this game up leaving how much time was left on the final clock? I got to pull up the um, play by Derrick Henry marched him down the field. Let's, let's clear Fair. that up. Well, I mean, <laughs> Tannehill made a couple throws too that got. The, I mean, he threw a touchdown to get them in the end zone, right? I mean, like, like he he did a lot for them to get them into that situation. Um, but what's crazy? Six plays, fifty-two yards, forty-four seconds for the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. And um, the throw by Justin Herbert rolling out to his right uh, oh. that he hit, was it Mike Williams? I forget who he hit. Um, it might have been Josh Palmer. He made an absolutely unbelievable play. Um, right on the yeah, sideline, too. It was, it was too. Mike, I, Mike Williams from the Tennessee. It was uh, down to the 20, Tennessee 20-yard line um, on second and four from the L.A. 20, 45. So he threw it. It was about a 45-yard throw from when the ball left his hand. Um, but just an unbelievable elite level throw. And that's the kind he, of shit where you look at Justin Herbert and you're like, you are just, you the are the best quarterback in football. It's true. Uh, look, no. he, for the last like four weeks since coming back from his injury has put balls in footballs in places that I didn't think a person was capable of, of like targeting a football with that amount of high precision and high accuracy uh, to some of these receivers. It's like, uh, Vito, I was texting you about this when I got the new Madden. It's like there's a new mode where you can, when where you're passing, it's yeah. uh, it's like adaptive passing where you can put it where uh, only your receiver can get it. Justin Herbert's doing that for real in real life, like on almost every pass over the last four weeks. To me, it seems, like, yes, it's incredibly beautiful, but it seems like he's where Aaron Rodgers was at Aaron, this point in Aaron Rodgers' career. Like when Aaron Rodgers was this age, he was, now I think he has, I Listen, arm strength be damned. It's not like Aaron Rodgers has no arm strength either, but Herbert's just got a little more of a cannon, maybe, uh, and not as much touch. I mean, I it's say. about it's about the same. Pro- yeah. I mean, thinking of what Herb of what Rodgers was at that time, it's probably it's prob- similar, probably right? pretty similar. Yeah. So I, I I love it. I think the point is that like sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and say like this is we've never seen something like this. We've seen this before. This is reincarnated a little bit, but we are about to see. I think three to five years of Herbert being an absolute beast. We know Burrow's there. We know we we are shaping up. Like everyone talked about the after Brady Manning breeze, all this stuff. And it's been about five years since, you know, that, that those, all those guys started going downhill seven, I guess with Manning. We're at the point where these guys are stepping into their prime and the Josh Allen Mahomes, uh, Herbert and, and uh, um, 
Burrow yeah. matchups are going to be absolutely ridiculous in the AFC. Brock because Purdy. he plays like yeah. this. We're going to get this consistently for the next three to five years. It's particularly in the AFC, because it's it's yeah. Lamar in addition to those guys. Lamar, Allen, yeah. Mahomes, Burrow, uh, Herbert. Like, all those guys are, are absurd. Um, Russell? <clears throat> no, definitely not <laughs> Russell. Uh, no, I, I mean, I'm with Great you there. And, and so here's the thing, right? I was listening to uh, a couple of guys – uh, who are really, really big in the NFL nerd community um, because Justin Herbert is Jesus Christ to the NFL nerd committee, uh, our, our community, right? Like he is like their white whale. He is the Holy Grail. He is everything that they could possibly believe. Um, and the biggest problem with Justin Herbert is that he's too good at doing what his coaches tell him to do. Honest to God, like, he does exactly what he's supposed to do. His processing is at an elite level. His arm talent is at an elite level. His physical, his athleticism is not quite like elite, elite, but it's, it's on the higher end. He's very fast. He's very athletic. But when we see moments like him rolling out to the right and playing a little bit of backyard football for one play, uh, which was the play that won them the game, the pass down to Mike Williams, that is what he has the potential to do. But essentially, and this is their words, he's a robot. He does exactly what he tells you to do. He's a quarterback robot. Remember the, the video that went viral of the, of the robot who shoots three-pointers and foul shots and he yeah. hits and half-court shots and he hits them all because they have it perfectly cal- calibrated? Oh, yeah, Steph Curry. That is – that is no, not Steph Curry. Um <laughs> I mean, yes, Steph Curry, but this is an actual robot. <laughs> um, that is essentially what Justin Herbert is, right? He does exactly what he's told to do, processes it exactly as he as how he's supposed to, and then has this unbelievable arm talent. It's the, it's it's the like the old debate between like cooking and and or co- cooking and baking, like cooking's an art, baking's a science. He's amazing at the baking. He's amazing at the science of knowing exactly what to do. I need to see him do more of the art shit because that's what Mahomes does off the charts because Mahomes can do both. Josh Allen can do both. Justin or uh, even Jalen Hurts right now can do both, right? He needs to let that artist side of him cook more. And part of that's because Joe Lombardi is a fucking idiot and is absolutely hamstringing him and not letting him get to his ceiling. But what we see in big moments, because he has to do it to win, is he finally breaks the chains of that robot and decides to be like, hey, I need to make a play. And he rolls out to his right and delivers one of the best throws I've seen all year. Um, and you can look at it and it might not seem that impressive, whatever. I promise you, everything that went into that last play uh, that, that, that got them down there and throwing on one foot as you're approaching the boundary, keeping it in bounds, delivering it directly on point while Mike Williams is draped in coverage. Like that's as hard of a throw as exists in the NFL. And, and Herbert is just, he's just special, man. He really is. I just want to see him embrace that like creative football artist side that is so fun with Mahomes and Josh Allen. Right. Because that's all he's missing. If you tell him these are your progressions, this is what this play does, read it. He can do it perfectly fluently and will do exactly as the play is designed. Let's get him to do that off kilter shit more because that's when he's really electric. Yeah. And he did it and they won the football game. So it's a huge moment for them. And now 
they have a, I think it's, I think Kornacki on Sunday Night Football said they have like a 75% chance of making the playoffs or something. Oh, I love they brought him back, man. That's incredible. Look, the magic board, Kornacki. So, so so what yeah. does he do in between all these times? He's like playoffs, he's elections. What like else is that board used for? I want to know, this guy either has like more vacation than the Senate or he is absolutely killing it on like these one-off deals that he has. Like, I wonder if we go over, I'm going to be in Europe at some point and for like the, you know, Premier League, he's going to be up there talking about percentages and chances of teams. I don't know what else this guy does, but credit to him. <laughs> he, he really should be. He may he have found be his like, own thing. He should be like all-time QB, but for yeah. like nerdy <laughs> playoff statistic stuff. Like there's nobody who does it better than Steve Kornacki. I'm totally with you. He's um, always got the papers rolled up. Looking yeah. It's great. All right. The last really good game of the uh, later window, Bengals-Buccaneers. And this is a good game, not because the game itself was that interesting, other than, look, the, the Bucks blew a 17 nothing lead uh and uh the Bengals just absolutely smoked them 34 points or sorry 31 points in the second half uh 34 unanswered points from the Bengals. the Bengals are a fucking wagon of a football team um and the bucks i mean i've never seen such a stark transition because like the first half of the bucks like they were sharp like everything was moving quick for the first time all year brady's hitting guys like the offense looked good. Mike Evans looked really good, had a big bounce Godwin back. Godwin had his best game this year. Like everybody on Tampa Bay looked good. And I'm sitting there going, like, fuck. And I live bet the Bengals because I was like, I still think the Bengals might come back and win this game. Um, and they did very comfortably after being down 17-0. Um, but I also like that was kind of like one of those long shot bets like Kenny, where you're like, I don't expect this to hit, but fuck it. You know, I believe in Joe Burrow. Um, and Burrow just put on an absolute masterclass in the defense for Cincinnati forcing three turnovers uh, in the third quarter to give them a chance to come back. And from then, that point on, um, as soon as that game was, they, they took the 20 to 17 lead in the third quarter um, going into the fourth quarter, that game was over and Cincinnati's defense um, looked phenomenal. I mean, there was a garbage time touchdown there late that kind of made it seem closer than what it was. It was not, uh, it was an absolute ass kicking from this Basically, the last drive of the second quarter on uh, Cincinnati ran away with this one. Yeah, they did. But I, I, I wonder, too, because they played so well over the over the past, what have we said, nine, ten weeks almost, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, we, we kind of put away the first half as an anomaly. But they did not play well in the first half on either side of the ball. And, and it allowed, I mean, part of that was, was Tampa Bay playing the best football they have uh, probably all season. So uh, there's that. And then, you know, the injuries on defense keep piling up. Uh, Trey Hendrickson was banged up coming in this one. He had a broken hand, played through it with a, with a club on his hand. Sam Hubbard got injured. Um, was their other defensive end on the other side? So uh, I think there's, there's cause for concern if you're a Bengals fan, just looking at that first half and being like, whoa, what was that? We haven't seen that since week three. Um, <laughs> but, you know, on, on the other side, you, you know, Burrow and uh, and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins getting involved again. Uh, and then Joe Mixon sealing the deal at the end there uh, on a couple of good, uh, good plays by him, smart plays by him, I, I think ended up being the difference. But, yeah, I mean – I don't, I don't come out of this feeling ecstatic if I'm a, a Bengals fan. It was a great win, no doubt, but uh, I don't come out of it feeling ecstatic uh, I mean, this about is, it at all. This is a, 
I think I'm feeling good because the offense didn't play well and the defense played out of their mind to get three turnovers that they did. Listen, I don't know whether to give more credit to the Bengals or, or slack to the bucks because or you know, shit to the bucks because those three turnovers on their first three drives, whatever it was in the third quarter was absolutely the game. I mean, it, it took all the momentum swung it Cincinnati had short yeah. fields consistently. Oh, yeah. They had like, they had less than 250 yards of offense and they scored 34 points. Like they were just efficient. They had the ball a lot of times in, in the box deep zone because of the turnovers. And that was the game. I really do believe that like, you know, no turnovers. I think Bengals lose this game, uh, but that's not how the game is played. And, and, you know, this is how it ended up uh, credit to the, to the Bengals, but there's definitely some concern, but I think the, the good, the hope is defensively, if you can create turnovers, this offense can beat anybody is really what that's showing. Even if you have short fields or, or you don't need to go the full length, because we know they can too. So if the defense can help them out here, they're, they're going to be hopefully playing some complimentary football come January. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't disagree with you more, Scotty. I, if anything, this game actually makes me feel way better about this team. Um, because remember where this team was after beating Carolina and Pittsburgh, right? They were, uh, that was four games ago. So we're, they're sitting there at six and four, right? On the outside, looking in the AFC North division, uh, and, and talking about as like a potential wildcard team. And then you looked at the schedule and you saw Tennessee, who at the time was seven and three, right? And then you saw Kansas City, Cleveland, who you hadn't beaten in the last five meetings, Tampa Bay, New England, Buffalo, and Baltimore. And you looked at that schedule and you said, there's no way, or if there is a way, it's going to have to be a replication of what we saw last year that this team is going to rattle off enough wins to get this shit done. And in each one of those games, by the way, so now they've won six in a row. They've won eight out of their last nine games going all the way back to the New Orleans game, which I think was like week five. So this team has rattled off win after win after win. They've done it in close games. They've done it against really good teams. They've done it against teams in division that they've had these weird kind of like mental head games with. And now they did it in the one letdown game that they had where they were down 17-0. And what did they do when they were down 17-0? So many teams don't come back from that. More teams than not do not come back from that. And they rattle off 34 unanswered points and completely dominate the second half. And you can say, okay, turnover luck. Maybe that's luck, right? But their guys made plays. It's not like Brady just gave them gifts. Their guys made unbelievable plays to get the ball back. And then Joe Burrow executed in the red zone at an extremely high level. That is one of the things where it's like red zone execution. That's one of the biggest determinations of win and loss in the NFL. And whenever they got the ball in the red zone, particularly in the second half, they executed and they put up ridiculous numbers. They ex- they used all of their weapons. Jamar Chase scores, T Higgins scores, Tyler Boyd scores, and Joe Burrow's just dishing the ball out like prime Chris Paul to whoever he wants to give the ball to. And at the end of the day, like you're not going to win all six of these games with the way that they have in their last six games when they were sitting there looking at six and four, staring down a gauntlet of games ahead of them. You're not going to win all those games the same way. There's going to be games where you're going to – most teams would fold over and lose. But if I'm a Cincinnati fan right now, I look at the fight that my team had in the second half of that game, the urgency the defense played with saying, hey, we're going to go get you the ball back because that's what you need. And they went out and did it, and Joe Burrow took that and turned it into points, and they ended up blowing out a team that was blowing them out in the first half. That, to me, gives me confidence that there's no – against a good defense, too, in Tampa Bay, 
that gives me the confidence to say, I'm not worried about whoever we play because we've already beaten Kansas City. We're going to get a shot at Buffalo in two weeks. We can beat anybody we need to beat. And I, I, to me, like, I would come into this, like, obviously you hate the first half, but the final result is great. Yeah, but are you going to get a meltdown like that? This is my point. Are you going to get a meltdown like that by uh, uh, a good t- if the Bills or the or the Chiefs in the playoffs? Likely not, mm-hmm. right? It's Maybe. the same argument I have for you, for you guys, right? The Eagles, best team on either side of the ball all year. But uh, are we are we thrilled with the fact that you had like a hundred and five rushing yards this game? No. Because what opens up everything for, for the Eagles offense is, is the running game. And you don't do that. You don't commit to it. And all of a sudden of, you're here of, in, of in, a, in a game late in the season and you're like, oh, shit, we got to start playing really complimentary football week in and week out. And but, what happens when you don't do that? But, Scott, like that's, what happens when the that's team has a meltdown works, in front though. of you? Like, that's oh, no, how, I know. Like, that's yeah. how football works. Like, if you're, if you're going to use not, a one-game sample size on what might happen in the, in the playoffs, if we've learned anything from this season – None of us have any idea what's going to happen in the playoffs. And there probably will be games. The, the fact is that they got down against a good defense and they found a way to fight back. It's the same thing we said about Minnesota, right? I said this in talking about the Vikings. I don't think the Vikings are going to make the Super Bowl. But if the Vikings are down 20 points at halftime, that locker room knows that they can come back and win that game. And no matter who they're playing. Right. Is it likely that it's going to happen against a, a more superior team? No, of course not. But the, the, the factor, the human element of knowing yeah. that you can is a huge psychological advantage for your team. The Eagles have been down. They were down two scores against Jacksonville. Right. And came back. That's been a huge thing that's fueled a lot of their season. And I think that's one of the things that's going to make Minnesota a tough out. And I think it's something that if you are a Cincinnati fan, would you have loved to blow them out? Sure. But we talk about it all the time. The team that blows everybody out all the time, the second they get met with adversity, what are they supposed to do? And Cincinnati proved that when they got met with adversity against the good defense and the GOAT on the other side of the field, that they can hang 34 on, unanswered on you and win, and blow out the rest of the game. And I think Listen. it's not ideal, and you're right, but at the same time, I think it it's a lesson learned to them, and it's an extra – bout of confidence for them to know that they can go off and win anytime they need to and the bucks are technically winning their division so they're in the playoff picture that's, that's a, playoff a playoff team, team. that's a they hey 17 point comeback 34 unanswered against the playoff team hard hard to beat I, that i'm not saying they're not capable of it i'm just like no like it doesn't give when fan you, when you get down confidence. to a, yeah, exactly. I'm saying when you get down to it and, and you're looking ahead because you can, because you're in the position to, to the one game sample you get in the playoffs where it's win or go home. That's where I'm like, mm, is that the scenario that we, that we want to find ourselves in? Uh, no, but it's, in, it's in the Ted Lasso shit, man. Right. It's the believe up there, right? Like that the human element is so, and this is why like as much as I love analytics and stats and all that stuff. And more often than not, they're right. The one thing they can never account for is the human element. And that's what makes sports special. And what Joe Burrow and them did was add another, you know, notch on the, we believe chart, which is that this team believes that much more that they can go out and win a football game. Even if they're down 17 against a pretty good, if not like middle of the road football team. And who knows, right. You're down 14 to the, the chiefs 
in Arrowhead or in, or you're down 14 to Buffalo in Buffalo in the AFC championship game, Cincinnati now believes, Hey, we've done this before. Even if it's a different opponent, they can still say we've done this before we can go back and win this game. And I think, I think if I was a Bengals fan, as much as the first half scares the shit out of you, the fact that they came back and won as dominant as they did in the second half makes you feel better. And that's all I'm trying to say. Um, it would also, again, if it's the Eagles and they did that, I would probably harp on the negative and say, I can't believe they were down 17 points to the fucking Buccaneers. But that's kind of how football is, right? It's it's always in the eye of whether it's your team or somebody else's, but that's kind of work. Um, Cardinals, Broncos, we we said this in the break. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, like, Vito, I know even you don't even want to talk. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'll I'll say we hit the under still, uh, even though at least teased uh, we hit the under 24 Um, points, though. That's the third most this year, right? Yeah, uh, we looked like we were insanely talented out there. uh, You could run the ball all of a sudden. (laughs) I mean, listen, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, with our like fourth and fifth running backs of the year, we've gotten it done. Um, Good job on the GM to keep this team alive. And and it is nice to see us be. you know, backups. I mean, they're backup quarterbacks on both sides. I think we just skip and move on. Yeah, no, there's nothing valuable to talk about uh, in that game. Uh, And that brings us to Sunday Night Football, which um, was a really impactful game in terms of seeding. However, in terms of the overall landscape, like I get why this was the night game. It impacts playoffs a lot. It's a divisional game. It's the NFC East. Two really big markets, New York, D.C. Um, The Giants come out with a win. Heineke kind of had his first bad game i would say of like his first really bad game there's been some games where he just hasn't looked great but this was the one that was the first like really bad game for heineke um he came in and 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 look he did his best uh but the giants now eight five and one they seem to be pretty solidly number two in the wild card um for the nfc and that third spot's going to come down to one of uh, either the uh, potentially the Packers, which aren't completely out of it, though unlikely, uh, the Seahawks uh, and the the Lions and the Washington Commanders. Um, and that's pretty much it. That last spot's going to go down to one of those three teams. Um, that tie, though, I mean, look, I, I got to look at what the Commanders rest, the rest of their schedule is. Um, they're Niners done with next week. They got the Niners <laughs> this week, which is really unfortunate for them. Yeah. Then, then it's a then it's Cleveland and then it's Dallas. Um, I mean, the Lions, they don't have a super, super easy schedule either. But I will say, I do feel like if I'm going to be pulling for one team here, or, or at least not just pulling, but like one team that I think actually has a legitimate chance, uh, the Lions have the Panthers, the Bears, and the Packers. Mm-hmm. That schedule looks a lot easier than the Niners, um, the, the Cowboys, and the Browns. Um, but that half game tie might come into play here, uh, which goes back to Vito's longstanding hatred of the tie. And that that tie might actually end up being the thing that gets the Niners into the postseason if they're able to pull it off the right way. I hate ties. Let's get rid of them. Do you hate ties, Vito? Well, hey, look, if the hey, look, if the Lions win, the Lions win this week, and assuming the Niners beat Washington, the Lions will be in the playoffs. Uh, and the the Seahawks need to lose too. Who are the Seahawks yeah. playing this week? Actually, I don't know. Chiefs, the Chiefs. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's right. good. That's good for the Lions. I think we're all rooting for the Lions out of any. Hundred percent. Am I right? Yeah. Hundred percent. Well, that's, yeah. Unless I have to play them in the postseason. Yeah. The Seahawks have oh, the well, Chiefs, the Jets, the and the Rams. 
yeah, Chiefs, Jets, and the Rams. Well, look, I, I'm not, I, I don't think they're going to go on some run. Like, every team's afraid to play the Lions. I'm not afraid of playing Jared Goff in a postseason game. I'm just not. Now, I want them to make the playoffs because I think it's a good thing for that franchise. It's a good thing for Dan Campbell. Um, and early on in the season, we talked a lot about it'd be awesome to see them make the playoffs. I just don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I think they will, though. Honestly, if, if I would put my money on it now, I think the Lions end up making the postseason. They need some I help. I wonder what that line is. i take that right now. The odds <laughs> to make the season. I could see FanDuel pulling that down, which is wild, because I think there would be a ton of action on it. Um, so they'd probably be able to make some money on it. But at the same time, I do think there'd be a lot of people on it. And the Giants, look, like the Giants get a win. The Giants are not a great football team. Um, but they pulled off a win last night, which is big. Uh, I think that was – I felt last night kind of felt like the end of the Tyler Taylor Heineke kind of bump there. I don't know, man. I didn't think it was – it was bad not forever, but for this season, at least, I think, uh, that was definitely, um, th- there's still been some amazing stats. Like he is their best quarterback in like the uh, winning percentage wise in the last like yeah. 10 years. And he, no, he's longer, longer than that. Yeah. It's got, it, like went back to like the ninth to like 2000. I think it's been the last 20 years. That's so great. You're right. It was, it was Brad Johnson. I think. Yeah. Cause like it was that. Brad. Exactly. It was, <laughs> I couldn't remember who it was, but it was Brad Johnson. <laughs> that guy is so one. great. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So I listen, Heineke has something going there. Is that their long-term answer? Probably not, but um, serviceable quarterback, man. And I'll tell you what, like from a team that's feeling a lot of unserviceable ones this year, it, it's, it's nice to see that they, they aren't just on the carousel a little bit. Um, they could have played the two QB thing with him and like, you know, just kept cycling through and glad they didn't. I also think that he, like you said, he has first bad game, but you know, he had a touchdown. I think he had, did he have one fumble or two? Uh, I don't know. I know that they had two fumbles, but either way, he had a, he had a bad fumble in there. He, he did okay. Um, he didn't do great by any means. And they ran, the thing is they were running the ball decently. Well, dude, uh, the thing I want to mention here is that at the end of that game, and this has been going viral a little bit, it was, I believe it was Terry McLaurin on the outside who was thrown for the flag when Brian Robinson Jr., who's been playing amazing. He had 7.4 yards of carry last night. They should have given the ball way more. And what happened was uh, Taylor, uh, I was gonna say Taylor Heineke, Terry McLaurin is up on the sideline and says to the ref, hey, point forward, like most wide receivers do, and the ref yeah. gives him a thumbs up. He said, scoot forward, and he does. And, he gave and the ref, him the ref didn't up. even acknowledge him, right? Well, no, then then he kind of like gave a thumbs up, whatever, and then, and then he threw the flag on him, and it was just one of those things where, and maybe it wasn't a thumbs up, you're far away, he moved his hand. Yeah. And maybe he said to move up again, and he didn't. Uh, but either way, Terry thought he was good, and that would have been a score. They would have had to go for two, but it would have been great. We could have had a a night game, um, maybe going to overtime and, and see some crazy shit. So, you know, I, I do give them a little more credit than maybe the score shows because I thought they deserved to at least have a chance to go for the two, but then they fell apart after yeah. that play. So well, it was I crazy too because the, the game played out exactly how the game before it played out, just with a little bit of bad luck from the officiating. Um, there were two Taylor Heineke fumbles. Um, I'll tell you what, man. I'll just say this too. Last thing on this game, um, Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah. I, I had my reservations on him coming out. Some of his, some of the, you know, personality stuff. Some other small things. Um, led the team in tackles last night. Had twelve tackles, one sack, three tackles for a loss, um, and recovered a fumble as well. Uh, uh, he is, he's a stud. And on he, the other he's side, he's a fucking stud. 
He is. And on the other side, I was so confident in Evan Neal going into the season and he had a terrible game. A lot He's of false been struggling. Starts. I think in the past protection, especially, and I, I, it was just, you know, credit where credit's due. I flipped these and I, I definitely, um, I thought Evan Neal was like a surefire guy. To, I thought I'd go number one, even to the Jags and he fell. And clearly there was a good reason for that. Uh, these scouts know what the fuck they're doing sometimes on these. Uh, well, on these it, it, sometimes it also, it also takes some time, right? Like Andrew yeah. Thomas was a top 10 pick and now he's actually playing really good football this year for the giants. That was three years ago. Um, and it's the same thing I've said forever. And I would love, uh, I might have to pull in, in the off season around draft time. I might have to pull into my pocket and, and pull out some of the D linemen that I, I worked with um, to get this answer, because I've been making this case for a while um, and Quentin Williams is just last year. It was Jeffrey Simmons. This year it was Quentin Williams, the defensive interior, the interior defensive lineman taking three years to develop, to turn into the disruptor that they, that we all thought they were going to be um, Derek Brown this year, Jeffrey Simmons last year and Quentin Williams turning into remember how ridiculously good he was at Alabama. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, Oh, the first couple of years, he doesn't do a two, which is why I'm excited for the future of Jordan Davis. Um, yeah, but you know, for how ridiculous I, I just remember Quentin Williams being Nadamakan Sue basically, just without the sack numbers. That I mean, he was more disruptive in a lot of ways than Nadamakan Sue um, for those Bama teams. And uh, I, I don't know, he, him not being in that game for the Jets was a huge loss. But Dexter Lawrence for the Giants is another one who's turned into a stud. Christian Wilkins, um, the yeah. league has—I don't think the league has ever had this many amazing interior defensive linemen. Seems um, like since like 2000, like again, back in the day when everything was defensive focused. It's well, and a it's a big part of that is the league has shifted away from the Vince Wilforks, right? The, the nose tackle that weighs 350 pounds and has gone towards these athletic freaks, not in the way that Aaron yeah. Donald is. Cause he's one of one, but like the Fletcher no, Coxes like and Eric Armstead, Eric Armstead. Another, yeah. yeah. I mean, who was the Just big white, who was the arms, big white athletic. guy? Yeah. Justin Smith. Was that the guy who played for uh, San Francisco, Scotty? Justin uh, Smith. Yeah, yeah. 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 The interior yeah, defense alignment. I mean, he was a stud. I mean, like just in the last 10 years, it really feels like the, the, the level of athletes, like the former tight ends who then transitioned to like interior defensive lines because they put on the weight. Um, but that year, like two or three, that year, like three jump for interior D linemen is fascinating to me. And I'd love to know more about it. So maybe that's something we can look forward to uh, in the off season, but uh, that's all we got for today. Uh, an unreal sports weekend. I hope everyone had a great weekend. Um, like I said, the world cup final was unreal. I heard a lot of people saying it might be the best world cup game of all time. Um, I don't have the depth of knowledge to know that, but yeah, uh, it's I know, up there. I know that I fucking enjoyed it. Um, and it, it was unbelievable and, and super, super exciting. Um, and, and, to add on top of that, an exhilarating NFL game. And we have Monday Night Football tonight, which is Packers-Rams. Don't know how awesome or exciting that'll be, but should be good. So uh, any last thoughts from the boys? Happy birthday, buddy. <laughs> Happy birthday, I, Jeff. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you for listening. Uh, everyone have a wonderful week. We will have our holiday schedule might be a little bit different with Christmas and whatnot, but uh, we will have content out for you uh, before the holidays this week uh, and then after the holiday this weekend um, to make sure, because there's a lot of stuff going on, obviously keep an eye on the Jalen Hurts and Eagles and all that situation. Well, so one thing before we sign off, everyone remember red zone is on Saturday this week. All the one o'clock games are on Saturday. There's a couple fours. There's a Saturday night game, which is the Eagles um, and, and Cowboys. 
and there's only three games on Sunday. So total switch up. Yeah, total switch up. Love that Red Zone's doing this. So I don't have to get yelled at for watching TV during Christmas the whole day. Thank you, NFL. I'm stoked about this scheduling change. Visit our friend, uh, Scott Hansen, friend of the pod, friend of the uh, Fantasy League as well. So uh, for the boys, I'm Jeff. Everyone have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you all later on in the week to preview week 16. Can't believe I said it of the NFL season. And as always, take it easy, everybody.